Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. And Grand Rising family, and thanks for checking in with us again later. Constitutional and criminal defense attorney Adwright Pettit will be back in our classroom. Attorney Pettit will analyze the various cases facing Donald Trump. Attorney Pettit will review the criminal and the fraud charges lodged against the former president. Before we hear from Attorney Pettit, D.C.-based activist and humanitarian Sinclair Skinner will update us on his recent trips to Africa. But to get us started, Chicago activist Pastor Anthony Williams is here. Good morning, Pastor Williams. Good morning, Dr. Nelson. So good to uh, speak with you and the listening audience. Yeah, and now you've taken your fight to the NFL. Can you tell us what that's all about? Uh, well, hey, uh, well, some time ago when the when the uh, uh, draft came to Chicago, I think that 2015, 2016, my, myself and another clergyman by the name of William Fleshman uh, approached the NFL in terms of doing some real business uh with uh with with black with the black community and, 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 and authentic and sincere and committed black businesses. And so I went to New York and we talked and they came back here and we talked and uh we gave them a proposal. And during the process, uh a gentleman by the name of uh Peter O'Reilly, who's the number two man with the NFL, uh, he was the he was the person who we were having dialogue with, and so over a since 2015, I've had this on and off again relationship with the NFL, trying to get them to understand the importance of of real partnership with African American businesses. Now you got 32 teams in the NFL. And 32 teams, black folks can't sell popcorn. Black folks, black businesses only do a half of a percent of business with the NFL. That's like doing nothing. Uh, when I met with the NFL at the Chicago Palmer House in 2016, I had black media there. I had a representative uh, from the Black uh, Bank Association there. Guy named Norman Williams at that time. Uh, black media there. Uh, I had a plethora of people that I brought the black community to the table with the NFL. And uh, the guy Peter O'Reilly said, "Man, I didn't even know uh, there were black banks in America." You know, sad. But the whole thing is, is that yeah, they they pay the athletes well, I guess, and they let us coach. And uh, they give you a little piece of ownership, not much, because you can't hold the whole team. The NFL was nonprofit up to 2016. So there's a lot of violations as it relates to the relationship between the NFL and the black community. And as much as we love our gladiators, uh, there would be no NFL without 
the black athlete, period. They can try to take the game global, but the American black athlete is what makes the NFL the NFL. And black Americans do support the NFL. They buy tickets, they wear gear, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Only two, uh, we were told by Mr. O'Reilly, the number two man in the NFL, only two, only two black persons have NFL licensing in the United States of America to sell their gear. Only two. Now listen, only two have license, and they only do a half a percent of business with the black community. You got 32 teams, and black folks can't sell popcorn, meaning what? No concession. The last person I knew that had concession was former NFL running back Billy Sims with, with, uh, with the Detroit Lions, Billy Sims Barbecue, but at Ford's Field, but I don't know if it's still in existence. I haven't checked. So the NFL is a, it's a big machine, billions and billions of dollars, a wealthy corporation. But the NFL uh, does very little business with the black community. And they go out and they get athletes, and they go out and they get entertainers, and they do nice little things. When you see the players doing things, usually that's their foundations. That's on them, you know. That's on them. But uh, we're not doing business with the NFL. That's all I'm saying, Bud Nelson. Well, let me ask you this. What percentage of the players are African-American in the NFL? Do you know? Well, statistically, statistically they say about 70%. About 70%. Wow. So, so would it help you if you had some of those uh, players to, to go, come to the table with you? You know, and maybe some of the people who have, you mentioned we don't have any majority owners, but we got minority owners like the Williams sisters uh, in, in, for the Miami franchise. If they came to the table and says, hey, you guys need to do more business with our people, do you think that would help your cause? Look here, that would be wonderful if they had the moral courage to do it and were not interested in just their own interests because people got interests and people got politics. And of course, this is America's game, but they said, you know, uh, we've taken the place of the church on Sunday. That's the NFL. So, you know, you would have to find somebody to to, to have the courage to do that with because, you know, uh, former players and current players, uh, they, don't, they don't want to rock the boat. That's my observation. And they want to make sure they remain in the club. They want to make sure they remain in the club, so they ain't trying to rock no boat, the majority of them. Because, I mean, what's the, the lifespan of the average player is five. If they get five years, then you get the pension. So, you know, the players are focused on the game. But then, you know, when, when the players get conscious, like Kaepernick, then you ain't going to be in that game. Because the NFL, you know, they don't mind you dancing and hoopla and all that, but when a lot of those athletes become political, their careers are in trouble. I give give a, 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 a political insight, a social commentary. That 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 becomes a problem. That's historically go, going all the way back to Dwayne Thomas with the Cowboys. So so uh, you know it is a it is a uh, it is a strange culture, but it, it it it's it's wealth. It's wealth comes off the sweat of the black athlete. 
So well, how do you reach some? Well, 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 hold on for a second here. It's seven minutes after the top of the hour with Pastor Anthony Williams. You just joined us, and he's making a move to get the NFL more inclusive when doing business with the black community. So how do we get some of these athletes, especially the more talented, respected black athletes, NFL players, to join you in this quest? Because if they, if they, the the ones that have got a lot of juice, say Mahomes, for example, uh, says, "Hey, you guys need to, you know, cut my people a, a, a bigger slice of this pie." Do you think that would be more effective? And how do you get them you know, to the it, table? Hey, if if we had a way to reach them, you know, uh, these these folks are very uh, uh, secluded and very isolated, very difficult to get to. And perhaps uh, one of them may be woke this morning and listening to this show. But when you look at the NFL, the NFL perhaps – may have a lifespan, maybe of 10 years. And why do I see that? say that? Because it is a known fact that many players leave the game with CTE. It's, it, is, it is real, and they, and they cannot determine if you have that disease unless you're dead when they do the autopsy. Because the brain was not made to bang on. And I mean, that movie, Concussion, it's a real story. It's a real event. And so, you know, right now, I wouldn't encourage any child to play football, but of course, football is an outlet for, has been an outlet for many people to get out of their economic circumstances. I understand that too. But we're going to have to, in the future, the masses are going to have to find another sport to cheer. But right now, the NFL ain't going nowhere. But the thing is, it is a very selfish institution as it relates to his relationship with black America. And they'll try to cover it up as much as they can. They can sing the national anthem all they want at halftime. But you're only doing a half a percent of business. Well, let me talk about the, the anthem for a minute here, though, because that was so, sort of some controversy. Even amongst our folks, they, they think we shouldn't, uh, you know, we shouldn't sing the national anthem. It seems like we, we're at peace and we're agreeing with, with what's going on in this country and how they're treating us, that we should not have uh, had the, national anthem, uh, the black national anthem sang at, at the Super Bowl. And, and white folks think there's only one national anthem. There, it was, you know, they're arguing, what are you going to bring the Italian national anthem and the Mexican national anthem <laughs> next? And that was their, their concern. Your thoughts about all that? Look. The bottom line is is that uh, American capitalism does what it does. Uh, my whole thought is is that right now I would encourage black Americans, American descendants of slavery, to show enough to be citizens. We got to intelligently use our citizenship card. We must be constitutionally sound because our survival is at stake as a people. Everybody's interest is being talked about except ours. I make it real clear. I'm pro-black, but I'm also pro-America. I love this country. This country has been a blessing to me, been a blessing to my family. But I'm here because my ancestors fought and died so I could have the right to uh, 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 life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so the question we got to ask ourselves as the Democratic Convention is coming and is coming to Chicago, and people are prepared, is that we've got to negotiate in terms of, because let's face it, Biden will beat Trump. 
that's in the cards. And I wanted to be in the cards personally. I ain't in love with Biden. I'm clear on what Biden has done to our community. When he when he helped pass that, that Clinton crime bill, but he said these words, I couldn't have done it without the black call because he was correct. They helped him to incarcerate our people. So fast forward, here we are. And what's the future like for our children, our grandchildren, our descendants in America? And I'm saying to black folks, use your citizenship card. We've got to be more intelligent than ever before because our survival is at stake. Now, there are some folks, uh, black folks who are part of the status quo, they may feel comfortable. But when you got a, 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 a tyrant out here, a, a, a an American Hitler and Donald Trump, man, that's frightening. It takes a whole lot to sh- shake me up, Brother Nelson. But I say I have lived to see something frightening, and the country is in a meltdown. Well, black folks have always saved America. We always have. We always have. But guess what? We got to get something out of this. But we better be citizens right now. We really All better right. be citizens. I'm serious, man. All right. Hold that thought right there because we're coming up on a break. When we come back, I'll get into that. But I also want to get into to, to the, your meetings with the NFL because the NFL now is trying to go global like the NBA. The NBA is on, oh, yeah, in Europe. Yeah, and, yeah. And NBA is going to Africa. You know, they're trying to get more uh, get into South America. And the, the NFL has got, got – wants to have teams in, in Europe and they've got stadiums now converted to play NFL games in, mm-hmm. in London, as we've seen. So I want to get your thought. Does that dilute what you're trying to do? And I'll let you explain that when we get back after the short break. Family, you want to join this conversation? Mm-hmm. My guest, Pastor Anthony Williams from Chicago, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. And we'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010. W-O-L-B. And in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. W-O-L, where information is power. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Okay then, all right then. Uh, well, the, the the bottom line is I was I was giving some some history to Brother Nelson regarding the NFL, and one of the things when we presented our proposal to Commissioner Roger Goodell, we had one of the top financial institutions in America lay the case out in terms of why it would be beneficial to both the NFL and the uh, black American business community to do some real business. And by the, by the way, at that time, uh, he was still alive, former president of the Urban League, Vernon Jordan, and who was a close advisor to Bill Clinton, uh, some, uh, uh, wrote a, wrote a letter of support 
to our, uh, to with our proposal. So the thing is, is that historically, the Urban League and the NFL have been working together for years. So, you know, by getting that letter of support from him, uh, we thought that we would be able to take our discussion and our and, and our potential negotiations further. But the thing is, what I feel at this point is that they saw that we were serious and committed to making sure that black businesses did business with the NFL. All right, let me ask you this, though. At 23 after the top of the hour, uh, you're trying to get these owners, because the owners make up the NFL. They, they, they you know, decide whether they want the, the president commissioner to stay on. Yes, so we're having a hard time getting them to stick to the Rooney rule. You know, at least to, to honor it. You know, they'll they'll hire, they'll they'll interview black uh, 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 folks to, to be coaches, but they'll just go through a course, a cursory interview, and knowing that they won't hire them, and we can't get them to really stick to the to the the rule. You know, so how are you going to get them to to start writing checks for black businesses? As you mentioned earlier, you mentioned before we left for the break, you mentioned about the political the political climate that we're in now. We know where many of these uh, NFL owners, what, what part of the political line they, 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 they roll on. We know that. So how are you yeah. going to get them to, to all of a sudden now be more, you know, more considerate of, 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 of black businesses? You mentioned black banks, black media and all that kind of stuff. How are you going to get them to move the, how are you going to get them to move the needle? Because obviously these guys, uh, you know, they want everything for themselves. Well, 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 they stay well, well, on code. You know, you, know, you, 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 you I have this opportunity. You've allowed me this opportunity. This opportunity. We don't know how far, how many people are listening, where, how people are going to start talking. Uh, the best way for black folks to do right now is to tell the NFL, well, if you ain't doing no business with us, we know, you know, we turn the TV off. We don't watch it. Nelson ratings go down. There's many ways to to boycott them and protest them. You know, there's many ways. 12 gates to the city. So whatever the individual feel like, I mean, conscious folks who, who understand what this conversation is about, you love this game. And look, uh, I played the game all the way to college. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Nothing like loved it. But at the same time, I mean, when I see what's happening in terms of where football is going, and you talked earlier about the game going global, and the, you see that. Like in the NBA, the NFL, you know, they're going global. Because, see, when I look at that, I say, okay, they continue to see if they can find a better athlete than the homegrown product of the uh, of the black athlete. The, the black athlete is, is, is something to behold, and they know that. If they could find an equal to that around the globe, they're trying, man. because the brothers dominate the game. That's just it. Well, let me jump in and ask you that. Do you think that's deliberate or, that, or that's a move to, you know, that's a business decision or is it a personal decision that they want to expand their business and they want to do it globally? I think it's all of above. I think it's all of it. I think it's all of it. Look, first, I mean, first generation black ball players that integrated white baseball broke all the records. Hank Aaron broke Babe Ruth's record. Uh, had Willie Mays not gone to the military, he would have hit 900 home runs, maybe 1,000. Because it was nothing like Willie Mays ever before or since or never will be. Black, first, first generation, 
broke their record. Now, you don't hardly see black young people playing baseball anymore. From a Latino game. And, and why is that in your estimation? Why aren't we playing uh, baseball, Major League Baseball anymore? Because of the NBA and the NFL. And it's a, it's a less it don't if I it don't cost much if I if I if I'm playing baseball if I want to play baseball and I don't have the economic means a glove is expensive a ball is expensive you know you got to have a uniform if you're on a team if they don't donate you know it's it's a more expensive sport than football and and, and basketball all I just need is a basketball and I can find a place to shoot. You know, football. We find a football. We play football. But with baseball, you gotta have you gotta have more equipment. Yeah, but, but yet still we have the the um, Caribbean and and the South Americans co- coming in now into baseball and Major League Baseball, providing they playing their own, they have their own World Series. As a matter of fact, that's what they call a yeah. World Series. Now without with us, where it's just the, the teams in stateside, they have international mm-hmm. competition. So oh, yeah, it, they they do. So, but, I mean, but, again, but we how do we that. get a piece of the, you know, let's keep it on the money. <laughs> let's keep it on the money. How yeah. do we get a piece of the financial pie with the, all of these major league teams, not just the NFL? I know you don't know the NFL. The NBA on surface looks like it does more business with, with our folks. We don't, I don't know that. I don't have anything to back that up. But it just, just on surface, it seems, because we, we really uh, dominate they, the, they, the they, NBA. They, the, the NBA ain't doing much either. They, they, they're giving out twos and fews, too. They uh, when they they had the All Star game uh, here uh, some years ago in Chicago, and I had dialogue with the NBA, and uh, you know they uh, they 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 not talking about nothing. And see, both the the, the in Major League Baseball, uh, the NBA, the NFL, for years, these professional teams were none for profit. None for profit. None for profit. So over the years, those 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 are uh, those teams have made millions, billions of dollars. I mean, this is a multi-billion-dollar industry, a multi-billion-dollar industry. And as you indicated, now they want to take the game global because now you know that the last probably six, eight years, something like that, the NFL has been scheduling games overseas, playing in England, playing here, and playing in Mexico because they're trying to make the game global. So, you know, if they make the game global, once again, who gets who gets locked out of the economic profit of the game? The black businesses. And the thing is, is that, you know, all I'm trying to do is, is convey to particularly the black businesses in the black businesses you know, see, when the NFL, they're so good at co-opting people, and how they 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 they, they give them a little something in the put a little something in the pot and and put them you know put them with their brand to help their brand, but it, but you know it helps that individual, but it doesn't help the community. So I mean, a major corporation like that, and as much and your game. Uh, cannot exist without the black athlete. I mean, really exist. It's the black athlete that makes the NFL. Right, but it, it's it's money that again, and the people who hold the purse strings again. These folks, and they're all billionaires, by the way. If you've, if you've got a, a franchise in 
an American sports franchise. You're a billionaire because that's that's what they're except, worth. Except, except, except for the Green Bay Packers, it's a community, <laughs> right. it's a, it's a community shareholding team. Community shareholding. So do we, do we need more of that? Is that because that Man, doesn't seem like that's going to fly? They, they look at they ain't going for that. I mean, the Green Bay Packers is the is the economy of the town of Green Bay, Wisconsin. You go to Green Bay, Wisconsin. What keeps that town running is the Green Bay Packers. So it's a shareholding team. People get dividends from the Green Bay Packers. Right, but that, yeah. that you won't see that model duplicated, though. Oh, no, it, because it would be too right. That's but e- even with the Packers, it. though, do, do, do they, I'm, I'm not sure what the, what the percentage of Green Bay is, is black, but do they do they cater to, to the black businesses in, in Green Bay? Do you know? Man, I, I don't know. I, have, I can't speak to it. I haven't been to Green Bay. <laughs> I ain't never had no reason to go to Green Bay. But how, but but I mean, it's not it's not uh, it's, it's uh, black folks live in Green Bay, but they ain't a lot. Maybe yeah, because I, I remember the, the late Willie said. Davis having a conversation with him about Vince Lombardi. You know, told him to go to business school. That's why I asked yeah. that question when you thought about Green Bay, because I having a conversation with him. He he just loved Vince Lombardi. I'm like, why you? What's so special about him? And he he said uh, Vince Lombardi cared about his players, and he was the one because you know Willie Davis after his playing days he went into business, but Lombardi was the one who told him to get an, an MBA. That's why I was asking oh, that yeah, question. Oh yeah, that's right. And, and he went to the he went to the University of Chicago and earned it. That's where he got it from. I know that story. All right, I know that yeah. story. Willie Davis, Grambling State University. Right. man, I'm a I'm a football historian, man. But at the same time, as much as I love that game, that game ain't right towards my people. So, so what, you know, business. we come up on a break. So what can we do, though? You know, we listen to you, because, and obviously you saw that this is an issue, but most of our folks didn't see the issue. You know, we just love football. We just watch the game. We, we don't care who's selling the, the merchandise, who's selling, who's got the, the, the stands out there selling the hamburgers, who's selling the peanuts, who's got, who's got the ticket stand. You know, all of that kind of stuff, people are making money on that. But as you mentioned, we're in, we're in the minority. So what can we do? They can. The bottom line is uh, 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 work smart, not hard. Number one, you know, all of us can you can email Roger Goodell. Just go online and email him and give him your concerns. People can start a, 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 a letter-writing campaign. People can take some initiative to do other things. You know, they, you know I mean, this is, this is like this, what, what, what we, I told everybody in Chicago. I said, we have harpooned the well, and we need all hands on deck. And this is a case of all hands of deck. And because of you, Brother Nelson, I'm able to tell a, a real story. When the NFL came and saw the resistance in Chicago in 2015, 2016 with the draft, they made sure, they said to themselves, we ain't coming back to Chicago. Because what happened uh, when they came back the second year, uh, citizens, protesters closed the streets down and made it difficult. See, because the NFL is slick, man. When they come to your town, now the draft is going to be in Detroit this year. It's going to be in Detroit, which is interesting, right next to Chicago. And I've been talking to the folks 
and Detroit. Actually, hold that uh, thought right there, Pastor Williams. We gotta take a quick break. When we come back, I want you to finish the Detroit story first. Family just joined us. Our guest is uh, Chicago, actually. It's Pastor Anthony Williams. He's meeting with the NFL, trying to get them to do more business with black businesses. What are your thoughts? 800-450-7876, number to call and speak to the pastor. We'll take your calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, for information is power and good morning family and thanks for staying with us 21 minutes away from the top of the hour our guest pastor anthony williams he's an activist pastor out of chicago and he's trying to get the nfl to do more business with black companies black banks black media black merchandise makers the whole nine yards because we make up uh, the majority of the players in the nfl are black that's that's up straight up but majority of the businesses that do business that the NFL uh, does business with are not black. So this is where Pastor Anthony Williams is trying to close that gap. Before we go back to you, now let me just remind you, come later this morning, we're going to speak with uh, attorney Dwight Pettit. He's going to, you know, review all these various cases facing uh, Donald Trump. Before we talk to uh, attorney Pettit, we're going to speak with humanitarian and, and uh, uh, Sinclair Skinner. And actually, based out of D.C., he just got back from Africa. We're going to talk to him later this week. A journalist, A. Peter Bailey, is going to join us. Uh, Peter was one of the last persons to speak with Brother Malcolm before Malcolm's assassination. That was 39 years ago, by the way. Also, Dr. Shakur Akua will be with us. And the master teacher, Ashwa Kwesi and Mariwa Kwesi, are going to join us this week. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio is locked in real tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, run FM. 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, Pastor Wims, take us to Detroit. Oh, well, you know, the NFL is, uh, I believe, in April uh, of this year. The draft is going to Detroit. And ironically, uh, some people from Detroit were part of our meetings with the NFL when they came back to Chicago in 2016, the second year. Uh, uh, when they, they helped to draft it, uh, they did something they had never did before. Uh, at that time, Ron Emanuel negotiated for the M- NFL to to come back to Chicago twice for the draft, and they haven't done that since Chicago because they had a problem in Chicago. They had a real problem in Chicago, and the question was, uh, Let's talk about you doing some serious business with the black the black community. I take it they didn't want to hear that. Oh, no, no. Hey, well, the, the, the irony of it is that the, the proposal that was given to them, uh, like I indicated earlier, it was airtight. It was airtight. It was intelligent. It was it it, it had it it had flexibility where if there were some things that you had to compromise on, you compromise on, because that can be a part of negotiations. But the whole thing about it, it had never been done before. Now, this is before Kaepernick took the knee. Yeah, before Kaepernick took the knee, but what about the the players' union? Should they be the one who be advocating for this, or or, or they're just concerned about the individual players and the salaries and you know, the benefits for, for the for the football players instead of, like, benefits for, for black people, period. I tried to engage them, but they never responded. They never responded. And like you said, you know, uh, their interest uh, allegedly is for the interest of the players. Allegedly. But, you know, you know they've got their internal politics, et cetera, et cetera, in, 
I could care I could care less about that. It's 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 the public that buys your tickets. I mean, what Super Bowl? I mean, every every year the price of a Super Bowl ticket goes up. I think it was nineteen thousand dollars. Nineteen thousand dollars this year. Nineteen thousand dollars. But the average person can't go to the game, man. But yet they make they make money in in, in other areas, man. The NFL is making money all over the place. At yeah. the expense of the masses of the people. Well, you but know, you most know, of the money comes from the media, too, because they cut these deals with the networks, and that's why they're trying to get into Europe, because they've watched the soccer teams in Europe now being played here, cutting deals with, with all the networks here, and they've got deals cut all across Europe. So that's what they're after. That's that's what pays the bills. The, the, so, you know, when you go in there, you got to go hard to, to get money for black media, because that's that's how, that's the, where the, the most of the money comes from from these networks, because all these networks are, are fighting to care, and there's so many networks now fighting to carry the NFL games. Well, the bottom, uh, you know, you know, on one of these, I mean, now, if you, Thursday night football used to be on ESPN, and then they move it to Prime. You have to pay to watch the game. I'm not paying to watch no game, man. I, I mean, I ain't addicted to the NFL like that. Uh, you got to pay to watch some right. of the games now. And that's the future, and, by the way. Yeah, that's and, the future. And, as a matter of fact, you'll be paying. To and guess what? If that's the case, then I won't be watching. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Okay. Not well, hold that thought there, Pastor, because Howard is joining us from L.A., and he's thinking a similar kind of venue at 16 away from the top. Good morning, Howard. I just want to raise a question. Is there a possibility of a player strike? I know it might not happen because these players spend so much time and energy all their lives trying to do it. I don't think they want to sacrifice their careers. But uh, uh, I, I wonder would there be a possibility of a player strike or something? And uh, it, it, it would be interesting if that happens. You're talking about the players' association and and what they're really doing. Uh, it's, it's all political. And I think the, the players' minds are not set for a strike. So, But that would be about the most effective way and just see what the league would be like just without the black players. Howard, you should know that from what Kaepernick did. He didn't get 100% support from the from the black athletes. Forget about the white athletes when he kneeled for what was going on to us. And do you think they're going to yeah. they, they're concerned okay. about getting more black business to get some of the money that they're making for the NFL? The NFL is just like a plantation. Let's be real. It, it is. It, it is a plantation. That's and we got to figure out a way to get off the plantation. But I don't. I don't. I don't I'm just looking at it like that. You know. I don't. I hope that the 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 mindset of the athletes. Then you got to think about when they retire, the uh, NCE, the brain thing they get when they, uh, um, you know, be playing all them shots to the head and they can't get compensated for that. You know, it's a big issue right there, too. You know, this guy, that guy, uh, Chicago, Dorsum, committed suicide. And, and a couple other players that, that are not doing very well, and you see them in retirement, one about them. Oh, the guy, Jim McMahon, he's, he's not very well, you know. So they, they, that's the issue they need to. Uh, Concentrate on too after retirement, too. That that'd be an issue. Well, that's another area too, Howard. And I thank you for your call because they can increase the black doctors. I know for a while the Rams, when they're in L.A., they had a black doctor. I knew him. Uh, it was one of part of their medical staff. That's another area too that, that they can. If you look at all the business affiliations with the with the league, uh, Pastor Williams, that they can hire more blacks and do more black business. So they, 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 need, they need accountants. Okay, that's a corporation. But let me tell you about the clean zone ordinance. And people can Google this up. See, when the NFL agrees to come to your town, 
You got to pay for the party. All right, Brother Nelson, I'm throwing you a party. Oh, man, you come in there with your best duds on. You walk to the door, and they tell you you got to pay, too. But the party's for me. Uh-uh, you got to pay, too. So the clean zone ordinance agreement is that when they come to your town, you give them so much space. Like when they came to Chicago, they had all the Grant Park. They had the hotels locked down because they brought in their vendors. Now, I had white businessmen calling me crying, saying they can't do no business with the NFL because the Chicago City Council signed off in support of the clean zone ordinance. So they shut it down, man. They even went against the unions and brought in their own people to do the construction. I never saw this. this Chicago's a union town. But yeah. they locked the unions out, man, because they signed off on that clean zone ordinance. So in the hotels, they got luxury rooms. When the players come in, tailor-made suits. Uh, you got the, the Lexus suite. Uh, you got Zell Jewelry Street. Oh, man, it's set up. I've seen it. I've seen it close, up close and personal. So that's another thing about them, that clean zone ordinance, man. Uh, 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 when they come to your town, they like bow weevils. They were here in, in three days, and they made about a billion dollars. Well, let me throw this in here at 12 away from the top. We, we've got these billionaire owners, and, and let's use Buffalo for an example. They're getting taxpayers' money to build a new stadium. <laughs> These owners that we mentioned, they're all billionaires, but yet still the state of New York is giving Buffalo uh, Orchard Park, it's where, where they're playing right now, which is next to Buffalo, it's just a suburb. But they're giving the, the, the franchise taxpayers' money to build a stadium. This is one of what happened in Oakland. The Oakland uh, City Council refused to do that, so the, the Raiders moved to Vegas, and now the Athletics, the, the Oakland A's are going to move to Vegas as well because they will refuse to give taxpayers' money. But in the to build stadiums so they can play in. And these are multi, as you mentioned, they're billionaires. So, all right, New, New York State's doing that. If that's the deal, they should also, the governor should have a writer in, in that bill that black, that certain amount of black business get in, not only in the building of the stadium, but when the franchise, when the stadium is complete, that we get some, we, we have a percentage of some of the business that's being done by the Buffalo Bills. Your thoughts. And, and yeah, look at, at, but see, enough of us are not thinking like that. I don't know how many black folks in Buffalo. I know it's quite a few. But the thing is, remember now, people are fanatics. Anytime you come out there with a shovel, shovel in the snow, so you can come to the game, man, that's crazy. But the whole thing is, is that, you know, uh, uh, I mean, Buffalo Bills is like God to them people up there, man. So that's easy to pass on because that's all they got is the Buffalo building that code. God forsaken place. So, you know, I understand. You know, and a and a lot of and a lot of teams have gotten away building the stadium off the taxpayers' money because people love the game like they just they're addicted to the game like that. So if you're addicted to the game, uh, then put something back in the black community because without the black athlete, you ain't got much of a game. Ain't got much of a game. So a ten away from the topic. How do we wake up the black athletes to to side with you? I said we got we got all, all these cities that most of them I know have uh, black banks in there. They can do business with a black bank. They don't have to put all their money in there, but they can do you know open up some accounts. They can do stuff like that. How how do we get the black athlete, the black football player, to 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 get on the same page? How do we do that? Well, the bottom line is is that hopefully. Uh, the good people of Detroit 
you know, black community Detroit will have the insight to understand they have an opportunity. You know, I mean, Detroit Lions been were, were at the bottom of the cellar forever. They all, they will step away from going to the Super Bowl, and they are they're a hot team right now in terms of a brand. And you got the draft going coming up there. It's, uh, I'm 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 talking to uh, folks up there that I know, and I'm telling them this is how you prepare to deal with them. So you just hope that uh, something will happen. But the thing is, is that at least I'm having the opportunity to put the to put the to put the information out there, and also tell a a, a story and uh, and it's documented in terms of how we as black citizens engage the NFL to do real business with the black community. You're only doing a half a percent of business. That's insulting, man. Yeah, a half a percent. Of, 32 teams and black folks cannot sell popcorn. Something wrong with that picture. You, you know, Pastor, they used to say that we didn't go to the games. And I, when watching the games, I'm always looking at the stands. And, I'm always, and I've been to a number of NFL games. I was looking at the stands. I was looking for our people. I look for our people everywhere in every situation, but especially in the games. I'm looking at the stands if I see our people because I know that's one of the things I said. Well, we don't we don't attend the games, but that's not where they make their money from. The tickets of the games, they, as I mentioned, they make it from the, the deals with with the television networks and the radio networks. Oh yeah. Well, they make money all kind of ways. I mean, let's look at the gear. If you if you bought a a, a Ravens jersey, I don't know how much it costs, but I know it's going to be over. Past $50. They ain't selling $50 jerseys no more. These jerseys in the hundreds, two hundreds, three hundreds dollars. I mean, that's a, and, and people go out, they make sacrifices and they buy them. I wouldn't wear nobody's logo, uh, nobody's brand, and you don't give back to the community. I mean, any, it's just intelligent to have community business partnership. It's, it's, it, it, it helps everybody across the board. People well, that's call. something I don't understand that where people wear, you know, where uh, where somebody's advertising for somebody else. You're you're paying you 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 bought a jersey with the Ravens on it, and the, and you're advertising the Ravens football club. They should be paying you <laughs> to wear yeah. their jersey. That's how I see. But you know, everybody doesn't see it like that. They, they, <laughs> you know, they're fanatics, so you know they 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 walk around with the, uh, the name of the team on it. The team should be paying you. Why are you giving them free advertising? But anyway, that's, oh, yeah. that's that's my that's my thought. But but so what can we do? You know, we're caught up on break. When we come back though. What can the listeners do this morning, if they want to help you? If if we're trying to get a, a, a bigger slice of this pie, we we're getting crumbs right now, and we're talking the NFL. But uh, I dare say we should go after the other major league franchise, sports franchises as well. What can the listeners do to help you? When we come back, I'll let you tell hey, us. Hey, hey, okay. <laughs> Hold that thought right there. Six away from the top of the hour family. We're back in four minutes right here in Baltimore with Pastor Williams on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power. And good morning once again, family. Just join us. Our guest is uh, Pastor Anthony Williams. He's a Chicago activist, and he's trying to get the NFL to give us a, a more proportionate pie of the financial pie of what they do. And he mentioned that he's, you know, that we should get they should hire more black accountants, uh, black media, spend more money, black media, black banks, the popcorn makers, uh, vendors, uh, all you know, sanitary cleanup, 
all across the board, in getting the NFL to spend more money with us, with black people, because we make up, we make up the majority of the, the players, at least, make up the majority there. But one of the things, before I ask you about what you want us to do, Pastor Williams, one of the things they're going to say, well, we don't know any black banks. We don't know any black accountants. We don't know any black doctors. So do you have a Kaja list? So if they come oh, to hey, you and, they, hey, and, hey, and say, that's, hey, go ahead. Look here. I said, I told you when we met with them in 2016 at the Palmer House in Chicago, I had people from every every key segment of black society, from the black community. I had them there at the table. And Peter O'Reilly, the number two man who controls the Super Bowl, the Pro Bowl, and the draft, said to us, I didn't know that there were any black banks. That's what he said to us. Now, this boy is about five, seven, about 155 pounds wet with this kind of power. Number two, man, Roger Gordell is the richest CEO on planet Earth. Roger Gordell is. Roger Gordell is. So right, but the, he, the owners keep him there. So, let's, you know, what he's doing is is dictated by the owners because if he does something that the owners don't like, they, they're going to uh, kick him out. But go ahead. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh they'll, they'll, they'll take him out. But he, he he is the highest paid CEO on planet Earth, and the Earth pretty big. Uh, well, so I, what I'm saying is that if you go to him and say, you need to give us a bigger size to apply, he's got to go back to the owners at their meetings and say, hey, you know, the black community is upset because, you know, most of your players are black and we're not getting, a, you know, we need to hire more black accountants, uh, medical staff, uh, vendors, uh, you know, we need across the board. We need, you guys need to advertise in black media and black newspapers or black TV and radio. Uh, you guys need to do that. And they'll probably say, they, you know, they'll shrug their shoulders and say, well, how much? Right, right, I, I don't right, know any. Right, right. Hey, look at right what when we got pity right now you you're black on radio station correct yeah are you black on radio okay is that Kathy Hughes am I correct right yeah you, they could easily easily do business with y'all oh yeah I mean, anybody else too you know it's, it's not a I, 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 I no I would start just right there in Chicago you got WVON black on radio station so they could start. There's a, they could start in a whole lot of places. We would give them directions. We would give them directions. You know, it, and so they continue to do what they do. But the folks in Detroit have an opportunity to help the cause, and I'm working with them and encouraging them, you know, to do what's happening locally, right there in that area. The Washington Commanders, uh, uh, the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, uh, local black business people with some sense can approach them. You can call, hey, we need to meet with you. Let's talk about doing some business. Because they want to always give us some subcontracting. And yeah. then say, do you have the capacity if we give you the big pie? So, I mean, when you go, you can't go with it's value. It's, it's value added. It's a value added relationship. Ain't nobody begging you for nothing. The thing is, is that we have people, we have bringing black folks with businesses that can work within the NFL's economic system. That's just it. But the, but the offer has not been made, and we and, and, and sometimes we think uh, dealing with a, a corporation like that is an impossible task. It ain't no impossible task. You know, when they came to Chicago, I approached them. They resisted, but then I was able to break through the resistance. You're going to always have a resistance. But people so can start locally right there. So what is our next move, though? What, what are we doing uh, next, Pastor Williams? The bottom line is that 
uh, uh, I'm just waiting to hear from how the people are organizing in Detroit. I'm giving counsel to them because I'm not, you know, I'm just sharing my experience with them in terms of the approach. They have, they have, they have a document that I've given them, and I'm encouraging them to work from that same document in terms of addressing the issue of contracts, opportunities, and jobs. That's what the conversation was all about. All right. I want you to keep us in the loop because this is important. I think, and I know the listeners agree with us when we say we deserve a bigger slice of that pie, since we're the, especially in the NFL, because we make up the majority of people who uh, players at least. You know, but they mm-hmm. again they look at the players as gladiators, and and it's a spectator sport. And they'll tell you, you look around the stands, you won't. We don't make up the majority of people in the stands, and and in some instances that's that's not true. Because in some state, uh, I know in Washington, a lot of brothers and sisters go to the the, the uh, to see, I almost call them the other name, go to see the Washington football team play. But it, it's not so much in other other cities though. But that but the, the, that's not where they make their money. Not at the gate receipts. They make their money again from the television network deals cut oh yeah yeah and and believe me and we watch that's where they come in because they the ratings equal revenue in our in the broadcast business and the ratings because we watch on tv that's how they get ratings that's how they get revenue so that that that's all it equates to so when you have those conversations let them know that you know you kind of know how this business works oh yeah yeah oh oh oh. that's 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 a part of it that's that's part of but you know you know it's an opportunity you know and uh, for me, for me, uh, nothing is impossible except I can't be God. But the thing about it is that hey, it has to be dealt with. You know, when it, when when I first saw it in Chicago, when I saw the opportunity to engage them, I engaged them, and it's been a long haul because of the fact that some people not having the knowledge, some people don't don't care, and some people just afraid to deal with a a, 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 a giant corporation like this they just they just people to me yeah do, do, so, what, do what's right do right yeah we're gonna let you go uh, pastor williams we got brother sinclair skinner on deck before we let you go though how can folks reach you if they want to help you with this this fight if they know uh, probably know of a, a football player or is close to people in in the business yeah, I, i'm just give my phone number every code 708 every code 708 5339 Five three three nine, and they can call me, and uh, you know I'll talk. All right, thank you, Pastor, and thank you, for, and keep us in the loop, man, because this is important. We we need to, you know, we fight for equality all the time. The fight never ends, but we've got to keep on fighting it. I'm glad that you, this is your slice of the pie, as they say, and you're working on it. So thank you for doing that. Thank you, and God bless you all. Have a great day. Uh, as Pastor Anthony Williams' family is a Chicago activist, and again, he's trying to get the NFL to get us a bigger slice of that financial pie. Let's say good morning to Brother Sinclair Skinner. Brother Sinclair, welcome back to the program. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Morning, big brother, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Man, I've been working hard like you, working hard and feeling good about it. Well, let me ask you this, because our previous conversation, you're a businessman, so the, the NFL, I want to get your thoughts on this. You know, I probably know already, the NFL does really just very little business with black businesses. You know, the, the different franchises, and they'll probably, you know, the, the NFL, the commissioner will probably throw it back to the franchises franchisees to do it but they, they do very little business with us how your thoughts on that how can we increase the money because we make up the majority of the players yeah i think there's i think we're seeing some of this behavior even in dc with uh ted uh losa's uh the, the um, washington widgets moving them out to uh virginia out of washington dc i think in some cases uh the cities and i think uh mira bowser has done a good job trying to get, keep the, hold these people accountable, but I think at the end of the day is that locally they're getting monies from these cities to incentivize them building these stadiums. A lot of this has got to be also applied to, through that directly, you know, through this the power that the local municipalities have to make sure that they're being equitable, especially with the uh, black businesses. Uh, or, you know, of course, small local would probably be a part of that equation. But I think it's definitely necessary. They really, you know, extract a lot of value and get sweetheart deals building these stadiums that, you know, as a small business person, no one ever gave me a sweetheart deal. And then they turn around and, again, are self-dealing and just look out for, you know, the people that, you know, they already have a relationship and, and not small businesses. So, or black businesses. So I think it definitely is something about holding people accountable. Anybody, any of these large companies, be it Apple or Amazon, we got to do better with holding them accountable because, again, they're using so many local tax dollar resources for their operations that we don't even see or think about and they're benefiting from, and yet what they put back is is very little or, you know, they, they try to get around it. So I, I think the passive is right on the on the ball about holding these folks accountable. Yeah, and hopefully our, our listeners in Buffalo will remember that when this, the state of New York's giving a bunch of money for to build a new stadium for the Buffalo Bills. I uh, hope they, you know, hold the the, uh, the governor accountable that some of those businesses, not just the, the construction, but when the stadium is built, they, they, they use, you know, the franchise, they hold them. They have to have a certain amount of black uh, accountants or medical staff or whatever advertising the the, the black community because those are taxpayers' dollars, as you mentioned, get a, a proportionate, uh, you know, return. But we got we got to hold them accountable. I, you know, I've dealt with contracts in Washington, D.C., and some of the, you know, again, we get these crabs in the barrel, and no one will question when European businesses get deals, but some black folks get a deal. Everybody want to wonder how they got the deal, what, what, how many jelly beans in a jar, can they count to 1,000? But we see every day the same people getting contracts, and no one says anything. So I think it definitely is a part of how we have to see ourselves. And, again, I think one of the problems is, you know, 
black excellence or success is oftentimes, you know, um, scrutinized or criminalized. You know, if we really look at, you know, contractors or developers or, that look like us, you know, in the DMV and the areas that we see, these, these buildings should be being built by our people. But every time or oftentimes when the opportunities are available, again, you know, the scrutiny towards our own people is much higher than it is for the, the, the status quo and the European businesses. And I think we need to see how the corporate media does that. They do it in every phase of our lives. We look at how they scrutinize black success in a way that's almost, it's, it's like, you know, skeptical, like how could you be successful or it's somehow an issue. So I think making sure we have those opportunities and when our people do take advantage of those opportunities, making sure that we continue to support those businesses and don't let them be attacked when they get that piece of pie, because that, that happens consistently. We see it. Yeah. So. And also make sure they still are serving the, the, the business, running the business well, too. That's another issue. You know, sometimes we get the we get the breakthrough and then the business just was sloppy. And, and, and then that's why I say, oh, they don't know how to handle the business. They can't handle it. And they, and they use that and paint a broad brush on all of us, what we do. But I want you to hold that thought right there. We come up on a break because you do business in Africa. When we come back and you just got back from Africa, what's the difference in your uh, mind's eye or what you see doing business stateside and, and when you do on the continent. Family, you want to join this conversation with our guest, Brother Sinclair Skinner. He's an activist. He's a humanitarian. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest, Sinclair Skinner. is a humanitarian and activist based in Washington, D.C. Does business on the continent and here's also in the States as well and in the Caribbean and all over. So, Brother Sinclair, when we're talking about business with uh, Pastor Williams and uh, trying to get the NFL to do more business with, with uh, black businesses, your thoughts, because you do business both sides of the Atlantic. Is, is there a difference? Is it easier on the continent in here? How do you see it? No, I, I think it, it's always easier wherever you're, you live or where you're from. Um, like right now, I had been in the process of getting a residency. I had a work permit in Zimbabwe and now a residency permit that allows me to, you know, spend more time and I have to deal with certain visa restrictions. So there's, there's levels to it, but I think with the, you know, my passion you know, is for us to, you know, return back to the continent. So, I think sometimes with business, what I've learned now is that you figure out what it is that you think your calling in life is. And then when you pursue that, you know, figuring out how to monetize or, or make it so you can sustain that becomes more of a passion. And I, again, the, the, the context of the way I do business and I've been blessed to be able to do business is to try to you know, find the things that I, I truly enjoy and work with people I want to work with. In America, it's a little, you know, again, it's easier for the transactional side. But again, you know, United States is a, is a settler colony. You know, every day I spend here, I think about the blood and the land from the indigenous people. I think about the U.S. foreign policy, and I, these are things that are very disturbing. And so, when I'm in Zimbabwe or on the continent, there's a, I have a different spiritual and emotional uh, sense 
uh, doing business in that way is, is actually easier in that regard. But at the same time, you know, d- dealing with things of, you know, getting good electricity and the electricity going out and get Wi-Fi, these are things that are still, you know, a legacy of the colonial legacy that they do to undermine uh, the development of Africa. So, you know, there are, you know, like I said, there's a trade-off, but the cost of once you kind of get into doing business in Africa, the costs, you know, are, are less and the things that you can, your, your money can, your U.S. dollar actually goes further. So it, it can be some good opportunities in that regard. Like even with buying a condo or buying uh, homes, you know, you can actually buy a, a place cheaper and a lot of times you can actually, now with the use of Airbnb and all these VRBOs, you know, you can actually rent out the spaces, you know, same thing in the Caribbean um, with properties where literally you can, the, the time you're not there, you can actually spend, uh, have people, you know, rent, you know, rent out their property using this technology. So I tell people, you know, God didn't curse us to live in one place. You can live in multiple places. Don't don't think that you have to, even returning back to the continent, that doesn't mean you have to stay there. Maybe you can spend six months out of the year and another three months someplace else. So, you know, I think our context of our liberation and sovereignty as human beings was undermined by this whole colonial enterprise. So we, our context of liberation gets kind of confused because we use the colonial space as a reference point when really, as African people, we've been fluid. We've been always moving. We've touched every part of the, the, the world. We're not, you know, again, cursed to, to be in one place. Well, let me ask or this at 24, after the top of the hour. Do you feel there's a different energy from folks who have traveled, especially black folks who have traveled to the continent and those who haven't left the, the, their city? You know what I've noticed, and, this is, and I hear this oftentimes, when I'm on the continent of Africa, folks will be like, you know, you know what? The people who don't leave their city, well, I, I think I've noticed with, with our people, our people are, will stay in one city and live and die. I don't care if they're born in Africa or born in North America. They literally will, will live and die and be content in the same li- the city that they're from and, and ask you what high school you went to and you talk to them on the street. And I, I, but I do think is those who do venture out and kind of move around, have a, a better perspective. Now, the only part where, where it can get tricky, I think Franz Fanon said this. He said, if you go to Europe, you see an African in Europe, they're either a tourist, a slave, or a trader. And he said, if they're a tourist, send them home. If they're slave, freedom. And if they're a trader, you know what we do with traders. I think sometimes our context of our travel sometimes is not as healthy or helpful as it could be. You know, I don't aspire to be uh, a, a European traveler in blackface. Uh, when I travel, I don't tourism. I always try to meet people that I have common interest in. I'm not going to see lions and monkeys and elephants. Like I go to, to Africa to see my people. The reason why there's no wild animals in Europe is because they kill them all. So the fact that we still have a respect of the ecology to have wild animals in Africa is a bonus, but I don't go back to see no orangutans. I go back to see my people. So I think sometimes we can, if we have the ability to travel, instead of using it to spread liberation and help with sovereignty, we actually are doubling down in black in, in blackface with things that aren't good. And we kind of aid in the bed. And I, and I think, you know, you've, you've seen the transition 
You know, like with Jesse Jackson, when he, anytime he was traveling, he was doing things, uh, freeing people from hostage. He, anytime there was a hostage, they let the black folks go because they, they knew we were, you know, comrades in the struggle. But when you start having Colin Powell's and uh, what was the, the, the black woman uh, under Bush, when you start seeing black faces attached to, to this white supremacist imperialism, it kind of, in many ways, changed the context. He, even talking to people, they, they say Obama killed a Muammar Gaddafi. It, these are these are things that I've seen from the, the vantage point as being uh, African and American traveling abroad, where everybody was super excited about us. But then you start to see the heaviness of the U.S. Like right now, with the things going on in Gaza, as you travel, people are looking at the role that our tax dollars are contributing to the things that are going on in the DRC or in the Gaza and these other places. So again, I think we need to have a more mature approach to travel and a more mature understanding of, I mean, we're a product of foreign, bad foreign policy. We're a product of, of wicked uh, foreign economic policy. So if any group of people should be very concerned about the United States foreign policy, it should be us, you know, who were, you know, again, abducted and, 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 and torn from our, our mother continent. So I think that's some of the things when I meet brothers and sisters traveling abroad is, is their understanding of the context. When I travel, I have a visa, I mean, a passport that allows me to go to any country I want to. My staff that, that live in Kigali or Nairobi or Harare, they can't travel because they're, they're restricted. And the only reason why they're restricted is because of racism. They, they got to give up their bank account. They got to explain why they're coming. When I show up, all I do is show them my blue passport, and they stamp me. So just think about it. If you're an indigenous African person on the ground, and you're and you're trying to do business in Europe, you may not even be able to travel to, to meet clients just because of the racist visa system. So you don't even hear people talk about how that's still a legacy of a colonial enterprise because we know these borders weren't created by us. But so somebody to tell me I can't go somewhere, but all the minerals and resources out of the country can't. Again, this is a legacy of something that's just not just. But because oftentimes our, we have access because of the U.S. passport, we don't advocate for that. But when these folks, when our African brothers and sisters are going to the U.S. embassy or other places, not as immigrants, not as people who are refugees, but just people wanting to do business, they often have gatekeepers. I even talked to the Zimbabwean South Africans. I said, look, when them European South Africans go to the U.S. embassy, do you think they're having the same conversation as you, you have with them? The answer is no. They get to travel and get to be free and go anywhere they want to, while the, the, the indigenous African brothers and sisters in South Africa you know, have to be humiliated every time they go to the U.S. or European embassy. Yeah, Alan, let me throw this in 30 minutes after the top of the hour. We were on a, a press junket to uh, Nigeria, and, the, and we went to meet the uh, ambassador at the uh, in uh, Abuja, and the embassy sits on a hill, and, and people waiting to get visas, the Nigerians were out, and the, and the sun was blazing. So, and, and we complained. We, the first thing we said, listen, you got you can't have these folks trying to get visas in from in these Nigerians sitting out in the sun like this. People were fanning out there because the sun was blazing when we went. 
And, uh, you know, they're going, oh, we best and all that. But the bottom line is they didn't think of them as, as they, didn't, they didn't have the respect for the Nigerians. Let's put it that way. They were seeking visas to, to come to the United States. But they, what they did, though, because they knew they were dealing with reporters. So after by the time we got back to L.A., they sent us a picture that they had put a, a, like a shelter, like a bus shelter, a, a elongated bus shelter, because there were lines out there. People, some had umbrellas because they, they, they were just, you know, the elements were just taking them out. But they knew as soon as we got back, we got a letter from the, the U.S. Embassy in, in Abuja, in Nigeria, and said that they had built that, that shelter and thanking us and all this kind of stuff. But had we not been there, Brother Sinclair, those Nigerians wanting to get visas to come to the United States would still be out there in that sun waiting to climb. And then they got to climb up a huge hill to go to get to the embassy. But anyway. Yeah, but, but no, but you're, you're right. We all, that's what I'm saying. Being a tourist is almost the lowest level a person can serve as a human being. You have to be an advocate for what's right, no matter where you go. I don't care if it's your holiday or if it's a business day. We should always be advocating for what's right. Because the other thing they don't tell you about is many of these brothers and sisters are applying for visas. They have to pay. Now, let me just tell you how the trick is with the U.S. government. They're paying in local currency. And I always ask, where is this money going? Where all the people getting turned out. So let me say it another way. When these Nigerians or Zimbabweans, when they apply and they're waiting in that line, they're paying to wait in that line. If oftentimes many of them or most of them are going to be denied and have to reapply. Every time they apply, they have to pay and the money gets taken even when they get rejected. Let me say it another way. When we get visas, we, we, we know that we go to certain countries, okay, they're going to make you pay for the visa, but you're paying for something that you receive. They don't charge you for being rejected, but literally the U.S. government is all over Africa charging folks, you know, hundreds of, you know, in conversion dollars to apply to get denied. And where does that money go? And again, I say it's in local currency because, again, it gets a little trickier to track. So, again, you know, these systems are meant to oppress people. So when you got the best and brightest of people who want to not leave their country but just want to go and trade and come back and forth, there's a lot more barriers than we, you know, when I have a great idea and I want to go overseas, all I got to do is buy a ticket, go do business. But the same person as me in that country doesn't have the same ability. How does that impact that country's ability to develop? It's very negative and it's definitely done on purpose. All right, hold that thought right there. We got to take a short break. When we come back, I want to talk more about your African trip, also the Africa Tech Summit that you're involved with as well. And also want to find out what what do they ask you? What do our brothers and sisters ask you uh, about when you when? Because you're in the business field, so what do they ask you when you when you go to Africa, the different cities, different countries, I should say, or different states? Uh, what do they ask you about America? Is it political? Is it sports? Is it entertainment? I'll let you fill us in when we get back. Family, you want to join this conversation with Sinclair Skinner? Reach out to us at eight hundred four five zero. 7876, and we'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, you're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. (music) 
And good morning, family. 20 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, Brother Sinclair Skinner, just back from the continent. He's also part of this African Tech Summit that's taking place, and he's also working with Howard University students. We're going to talk about all of that with him when we get back to him. But before we do that, let me just remind you, coming up later this morning, we're going to speak with Attorney Dwight Pettit. He's going to break down all these charges that Donald Trump is facing. And later this week, you're going to hear from journalist A. Peter Bailey. Peter was one of the last persons to speak with Brother Malcolm before Malcolm was assassinated. That was 30 39 years ago on Thursday. This Thursday will be 39 years since Malcolm's assassination. Many of you can remember when you heard that Brother Malcolm was killed. Also, Dr. Shakir Akua was going to be with us to talk about Black History Month. And the master teacher himself will be in the classroom, Brother Ashwa Kwesi, along with his uh, uh, wife, uh, Mary Ra Kwesi. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in on 1010 WLB. If you're in the DMV, you're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. So, Brother Sinclair, when you travel to the continent, what sort of questions do you get from our brothers and sisters there? What do they want to know about us? Well, I, you know, I think what uh, was surprising to me, because uh, we have an initiative right now that we're doing called Pan-African Unity Campaign, where we're literally using our app that is based on the uh, Green Book uh, to connect the uh, Pan-African schools, uh, African-centered schools. And when you start talking about Pan-Africanism and the origins of that on the continent, a lot of times brothers and sisters, you know, they're, they're not even taught that. Like the schools are all based on a very Eurocentric model, be it private or, or government schools. So when I start having this conversation and talking about how we should connect as a people, uh, especially in the tech space, you know, oftentimes the brothers and sisters, unfortunately, in the, t- the tech space that I'm in, they um, conflate innovation with westernization as if uh, Europe is the you know originator of innovation. When we're clear that as the first people on the planet, that we're clear that all innovation started off in Africa first. Sometimes you have to kind of get through some of those things where people are discounting their their African heritage and, and putting a premium on a European context. And, and when I go to these countries, I always have our I Love Black People t-shirt on. So, you know, they're always fascinated with, you know, well, I'm, I'm not black, I'm African. Well, there's, there's Europeans running around here talking about the African too. So we're not talking about them. We're talking about folks that look like us. So it ends up being some interesting conversations. But what I, I again, I try to tell people uh, when I go and travel on the continent, I try to identify people, uh, our own people, who have a common interest. So ultimately, I end up meeting tech folks that are into Pan-Africanism, and we talk about how we can now work together to build a uh, a African school system based on. Uh, African-centered, African-focused uh, curriculum, as well as indigenous languages. So we're using our app to build that, to actually connect those dots and working with folks on the ground who already are in education. I'm, I'm an engineer, so I don't know anything about, I said the word curriculum. I don't know what a curriculum, you know, I wouldn't, I've never put a curriculum together. But what we do know is that we now have tools that we can connect people across borders that were artificially in place, not to help us, but to harm us. And now we can create something like a global, like a global school system that's focused on, on us and giving us the, the right information so our young people won't have to experience that lack of knowledge that maybe some of our own generation had. So with me, with these conversations, I'm very 
I'm not I'm not gonna say I'm impatient, but I don't you know cast you know no pearls among no swine. I don't suffer foolishness very well. So when I'm in these environments, I'm trying to talk to people who have uh, some of the same interests. Uh, are they receptive to conversations like that, though, with, you know, Pan-African talk, that that's what you were telling them about? Tri- yeah, it's tricky because, you know, capitalism is, I'm not going to say it's the devil, but colonialism is just a form, another form of capitalism. And it's just like you'll hear people complain about ch- China or or in, in Africa. I, I think we're clear that China supported every liberation movement on the continent. That being said, Africa has no friends. So uh, 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 that's a very, you know, real statement. But capitalism makes for a very problematic economic system because it's based on who gets the most, not for everyone, but for a few. So my work that I do overseas, I don't get involved in mines. Like, you hear people talk about diamonds and gold. I, if the revolution comes, I'm not trying to have nobody's gold in my pocket. I'm like, look, we're going to do technology. Uh, I've done over 40 tons of maize in Zimbabwe, so I'll do something related to agriculture where we're actually providing food. So if the revolution comes, you don't have to, hey, look, we got some food, some cabbages or whatever. So my context of doing business and working with folks on the Pan-African side is Again, you know, you'll hear people say, oh, I'm connected to someone famous or the king of Zamunda, or king of this or that. I, I, I'm not into who's prince or king. I'm, I'm here to, to be of, of help and, and connect with other brothers and sisters who are trying to be of help. But I'm just telling you that capitalist thing can, it, it, as a foundation of a relationship, can really be problematic. So I try not to talk about money first. I try to talk with people on principle. I'm not dealing with no liars or thieves. You know, I'm not dealing with nobody who's here to try to be negative and harmful. So I try to meet people on principle and then develop a relationship. And then after that, if there's a possibility for some opportunities, I think you go from there. But I've had better experiences with people where I've actually connected with them on, like I said, common interests and principle. And then look at opportunities financially. And then I would always tell people, make sure you get a good attorney. Like if you're in the real estate, finding a real estate broker is not the first thing. If you're in the mining, getting them, finding somebody with a mine is not what you, you should always find a good attorney that can actually help you navigate the rules and understand how to cross your T's and dot your I's. And just know when you do this, you know, you're going to make mistakes. If you make a mistake, just, just you know, admit you made a mistake and fix it. Like people will will not people will forgive or understand if you make a mistake and try to fix it. But if you make a mistake and you try to cover it up or do something to make it look weird, it's hard to move forward. So on principle, I try to you know one of the books we share with folks with some of the work we do is a book from uh, Booker T. Washington. You know, I went to Tuskegee as well as Howard. Uh, he had a book called Character Building. And he literally put the book together for many of these students who were in the, you know, in the, like 1886, 87, 88. Tuskegee was founded in 1881. So he knew his students were born of parents who had been formerly enslaved. So there were some real fundamental principles he would teach them. And he culminated all those teachings he would do on a weekly basis in the chapel in a book called Character Building. And it really speaks to just some fundamental people thing uh, about character. 
And I try to say, if we talk about all this ideology of Pan-Africanism, it means it doesn't mean the same if the people aren't principled people. So you can be pro-black and not principled. I'd rather deal with principled people who are not aware of their blackness than people who aren't principled who would then use the subdiffuse or use the context of Pan-Africanism to exploit and harm people. And I've started to see more of that than I thought because people will attach it to political ambition instead of collectivism. All right, 13 away from the topic. I got two tweets from you. One actually is from Ghana and wants to know the impact of the embargo on Zimbabwe. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Yo, it's, it's terrible. What the Zimbabwean government has done, ZANU-PF government has done, is really remarkable. I think Eritrea has gone through some of the same things. Of course, Cuba has gone through some of the same things. And there's no thriving economic system that's been under over 20 years of, of sanction. But what they've been able to do to make sure that their people have some of the highest education in any country in Africa the, the level of safety and the level of, of productivity they've had in spite of the racist illegal sanctions that's been levied against them by the United States government is remarkable. So it does, it heavily impacts the work of the people because again, it blocks their ability to finance. It blocks their ability to, to sell. Uh, one of the lies that were spread about sanctions that they're targeted. Oh, they're targeted for certain people. Well, if you ever just play that out, they targeted somebody named John Moyo. Well, they got to screen everybody to make sure John Moyo doesn't get something. Hey, what John Moyo is it? So in, in reality, when these things are done, they're done to undermine, to cause unrest, to cause the overthrow of government. And from Mugabe to the current president, E.D., they've been able to maintain – a level of development that I'm sure shocked the U.S. State Department when they were, you know, when the, the sanctions were first levied. I, I'm sure they didn't think they were going to last uh, 20 days, let alone 20 years after that, and they have. And again, I'd say it's one of the most peaceful places I, I travel to is Zimbabwe. It's one of the few countries that's African, that's black, and the law enforcement doesn't uh, carry guns on the street. They actually police you with these little these clubs they have, but the use of firearms and that is very very rare. So you know, as it relates to peace of mind, these are some of the environments I, that I prefer to be in, and the, the consequences of the U.S. government. Once those things get lifted, you'll see so much even more done 
to to develop and, and, and move forward. Well, well, let me jump in and ask you, so what's it going to take to get them lifted, though? Because this sanctions has been since Mugabe was running the country. He's no longer here. Why are these sanctions still in place? It's about control. Like, again, it's about the resources. It's the same thing why there's now more and more what they call AFRICOM, where you see more and more uh, bases, military bases. Many of these coups that you've seen uh, have had uh, the backing of uh, uh, U.S. military. There's actually in Niger where they, they removed the uh, French. They have a, a U.S., the largest U, uh, U.S. drone base. And when you start looking at that part of Africa, you see how close proximity it is to the Middle East, like places like Somalia and Sudan. You see that that Red Sea that you hear them talking about, how influential Africa is in the space uh, in its close proximity to the Middle East and oil and whatnot, that literally uh, these are the things that our U.S. government does. And just as much as we say uh, Black Lives Matter domestically, we need more uh, of our community to be engaged in the foreign policy. Because, again, I, I hear people talk about immigrants coming over here, but we're not having the conversation that no one, no child has ever come out of the womb wanting to clean somebody's toilet when it grows up or cut somebody's lawn. They had to be victimized by a system. And most of these systems, the people don't actually have true sovereignty. The U.S. government will dictate what happens to their presidents. And I, I've been on the ground enough where I hear people say, oh, our presidents are corrupt. Well, the corruption in Africa takes place in the United States and Europe, not in Africa. Any dictator they ever bring up, they can dictate maybe to other Africans, but they're not allowed to dictate to Europeans. So if you're really a dictator, you would dictate to everybody. The true dictation is coming out of the U.S. and the, and, and the U.K. or France. And I think a book uh, that's important in this is uh, by John Perkins called The, uh, uh, um, the uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman where there's never been a Nuremberg trial for anybody that's killed and colonized our people in Africa. So anytime an African leader, be it Patrice Lumumba, Shamora Michelle, Thomas Sankar, no one in Europe has ever gone to prison for their crimes against humanity in Africa. There's no accountability. One of the things I think is so great, what the, the European Jews did, they did have a Nuremberg trial for the crimes that the Germans and Nazis did. But they practiced those things in Africa first. They've been killing African people for hundreds of years, and not one, one trial, not one IJC to talk about what is being done in the DRC. But we, as those who have access to these Congress folks, to these, these folks in, in the upcoming election, instead of us falling in line like sheep, I don't want to say sheep because we're not sheep. <laughs> But, but but falling in line just because of somebody being a part of a party, loyalty to a party is not a political strategy. We have to have an agenda that includes an international look. Right. Hold that thought right there, Brother Sinclair. We've got to take a short break here, six minutes away from the top of the hour. When we come back, the other tweeter says, uh, uh, please ask Brother Sinclair why, should, why he thinks every black person should, who can should visit Africa and remove those myths about our relationships with our people. That's the, the second tweet for you. I'll let you respond when we get back. Family, you too can join this conversation. Reach out to us, 800-450-7876, the number to call. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. For in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. 
where information is power. And good morning once again, family. Minute after the top of the hour with our guest, Sinclair Skinner. Brother Sinclair is a humanitarian, is an activist, a businessman. He's just back from the continent. Before we go back, you know, let me just correct myself here. Somebody calling with a correction. It's been 59 years, not 69. It's 59 years since Malcolm's death. In fact, they're already planning the commemorations for next year for the 60th assassination, anniversary of the assassination of Brother Malcolm. And uh, Peter Bailey will be here. He was at the Audubon Ballroom and one of the last persons to speak to Brother Malcolm before he was assassinated. Anyway, Brother Sinclair, uh, the, the tweeter says, and I'll just read again, says, please ask Brother Sinclair, why should every black person who can't afford to visit Africa do so and remove those myths about our relationships with our people? Is Brother Sinclair there? Yeah, I'm, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Did, okay, did you hear the tweet? Okay. Did the tweet? No, please. Yeah, it says... Uh, uh, yeah, it says, Brother Sinclair, why should every black person who can afford to visit Africa do so and remove those myths about our relationships with our people? Well, I, I do think that's important for us to go back. I mean, the first first place I ever went, I was at Howard University, and uh, I had never I've been to Mexico, Canada, none of those places. The first place we went was uh, Dakar, Senegal. This is when they had uh, Reverend Leon Sullivan with the African African American Summit. So we went as a delegation of Howard students and met students from all over the continent as well as other students. And uh, I think, again, seeing your peers and your colleagues from other countries coming together like that is so amazing. And it's literally when you're traveling to, to back to Africa, it's very different than going to even with the Caribbean. Because remember, you know, I think Jesse Jackson said we're all a boat stop being Haitian, there was not a Caribbean boat that colonized. It was literally one boat that got folks off throughout the way. But when you actually go back to a country where the indigenous people have been there for tens of thousands of years, it's a very different perspective. And then actually experiencing the different languages and having an understanding of that is great. But you also see, again, the, the negative impact of colonialism and the fact that many behaviors that might have been traditional might have been lost because of the impact of colonialism. So I don't give people a romanticized version of what it means to, to go back to the continent. I think we need to be very clear of the impact and the continued impact of colonialism on Africa if we're going to actually solve our problems as a people. We need to actually know the truth. So I think sometimes the, the, the lure of Returning back to Mother Africa is definitely important, but we need to go in a very sober way. Like, these are still real people, and God doesn't sprinkle beautiful dozen folks all over the world, including Africa. So we just need to be aware of some of those things. But again, I think the exposure adds to our sophistication, and when we start talking about problem-solving, will give us a better perspective. And I think a lot of the things that I've learned on the continent have served me well, even back in the States, to have a better understanding of our circumstances here in America. Like the U.S. foreign and domestic policy oftentimes are very similar. So you see, when you sometimes see it play out in a foreign country, you're like, wow, you know, again, how they do our African, our black communities, how they, they, they make them starve of resources. So then we leave. So there's a brain drain in the black community in America and there's a brain drain in Africa. 
They literally draw the best and brightest out of both communities for the sake of, uh, of a more European community. And, again, when you see it, it's more stark when you see it in Africa. But when you think about Af- black communities in America, the same thing is done. Our best and brightest have no opportunities within the black community, so they have to go to another community to, to become who they, they should be. And then we say, oh, you need to come back. But after they get reduced, oftentimes they don't come back. So I think a lot of the things I've learned being on the ground in Africa has helped me better understand the context of the world that we live in. I got to ask you this, though, five after the top, because you mentioned that there's a tech summit there that you did, an African tech summit. Was it? And you've done those kind of summits here at Howard. You do. I know you do it every year. What was the difference doing it on the continent? Well, I think what you, you get when you do it on the continent, of course, you get more of our people uh, from different countries that can participate. So it was in Nairobi. So the issue I had mentioned about visas and being able to travel, uh, Kenya definitely has a more has a very good liberal policy, even though sometimes it's hard for our brothers and sisters even to travel within Africa. Uh, there's an Eastern Africa uh, a visa. I actually traveled to Kigali, uh as well as uh, uh, Nairobi, Harare, and Joburg. And I was able to get a, a visa, 90-day visa in Kigali that allowed me uh, entry into Nairobi, as well as in Kampala, Uganda, if I so chose. So that was super great. And then when you have that many brothers and sisters from the continent, you're literally able to, again, touch people without having to travel all over. Like for us and my team, you know, one of my uh, uh, team members, it was her first time leaving Zimbabwe. She got a, 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 her passport. And, and so literally she's a data, you know, she has a master's in data uh, analysis. So to, to be able to actually engage people from other, other African countries for her was amazing. So we often, again, think about, you know, Pan-Africanism as somehow something we uh, experienced in the U.S., but literally on the continent, oftentimes brothers and sisters don't get a chance to, to meet someone from another uh, another country. And if they do, it's more, normally more regional than there than it is actually from throughout the, the, the continent itself. So we had, you know, again, brothers and sisters from all over, and I think that created a great environment. And then for our I Love Black People movement, we had a little meetup uh, with our Kenyan members uh, at the hotel, and we had members come from Mubasa, uh, from all over the, uh, 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 Kenya, and, you know, just, again, being in the energy of folks who have common interests, uh, like the work we're doing, as well as being in technology, you know, those are some of the things that, you know, it, it, I'm not going to say it's intoxicating, but when you're in those environments and folks are vibing for the same reason, well, vibing for the same interests from different backgrounds and sharing their stories is just very interesting. Well, you know, how did they treat you, though? Let me jump in and ask you this, though, eight after the top of the hour. Were you seen as an American or were you just seen as a, another black person, too? Because you, you're dealing with different uh, Africans from different African states. Uh, do, do they see you as one well, of them or do they see you as a, an American? Well, you, you definitely, and here's the thing, that, just to be honest, and people don't say this out loud enough, even as black folks in America, when you have an American accent, you can be dumb as rocks. People will listen to you. Why? Because they associate that accent 
some level of a, a attainment aspirationally. So in many ways, there's things that I will say that people will listen more because of the American accent. And and I've noticed this, especially with our European-American colleagues, they go over to Africa and get treated better than they've been treated in America because they get to have not only accent privilege, speaking with American accent, they also get the privilege of being white in the context of white supremacist ideology. And they are like, wow. And I, when I meet them, they're talking about how much they love Africa. And I'm like, well, how many black friends you got in America? They don't have any. You mean you got to come all the way to Africa to find black folks you like? Like, what is it really being motivated here? This ain't about liking anything. But, but let me jump in and ask you again, then, does that work for, for the blacks with a British accent? Are they revered as much as the, the blacks with an American accent? Yeah, I think the UK accent or a US accent, I think there's, you know, levels of, of the same uh, unfortunate association with somehow being better. And like I said, you'll see Europeans with no education be managers in Africa. They could literally just come to Africa and show up with whiteness and be put and always get paid more. And no one even questions. You know, of course, we talk about in the United States the, the pay disparity between men and women, which is, again, sexist and misogynistic and horrible. But again, when you're in, on the continent of Africa, it's almost like, you know, goes without saying that Europeans are paid more than their African counterparts, full stop. So, you know, these are, again, inherent injustices that are actually normalized. Just like women being paid less is normalized in the United States, Europeans getting paid better in Africa is normalized. And these are things that, again, by traveling, you see, and, and we should speak to, and I do my best to speak out in any, any form or any opportunity I have to, to speak on the issue of justice. All right, fun. You just join us 11 after the top there with our guest, uh, Sinclair Skinner, just back from the continent. So what, which uh, which countries, which states did you visit this last trip? Uh, Wanda. And it's not Rwanda. It's Wanda. It's just one, like the R and the W together. It's not Rwanda. It's really just Rwanda, like the woman's name, Wanda. And then Kenya, South Africa, and Zimbabwe, about 10 days. I tell people, like, to travel that far is at least got to be 10 days. You know, I think I, it would have been better if I did the trip in maybe, like, 15. But I always want to get back to my wife because she didn't travel this time. So, so, got, so could, could you tell it? I'm sorry. <laughs> we don't want to get you in trouble here, Sinclair. But could you, could you tell a difference in the different African states? Was there a noticeable difference other than maybe a language difference? Yeah, I mean, you know, every, you know, all these countries have varying differences, maybe religions, uh, different levels of uh, development. So you'll see certain differences in that regard. The, the trick with, with me, I've been throughout the country of Zimbabwe. So I've been throughout Zimbabwe, and I've been in multiple uh, cities in uh, South Africa and Kenya. And there's a real, you know, context of ca- uh, of classism. Um, because of the nature of my trips, I've never been in a situation where I didn't have the proper resources. But just like if you're in the United States, when I'm in the United States, 
I have proper resources. I don't live or have the issues that people who don't have access, you go to Washington, D.C., San Francisco, there's poverty everywhere, homeless everywhere. So I just want to even give this caveat. When I'm traveling, you know, again, I'm traveling in, in places and in ways that, you know, reflect a certain uh, attainment. So I don't have some of those problems that maybe, again, in the masses might have because of uh, they don't have access to resources. So I don't want to give a, a biased uh, view. If I travel to um, any city in the United States, I'm going to stay someplace nice. The same thing happens when I'm on the continent, you know. So there there are areas where, again, I, I've been to some slums in Kibera, in uh, one of the largest slums in Africa is in Kibera, uh, Kenya. And, you know, the, the quality of life is just tough. But what I do say when you see poverty in, in Africa, the safety net is different. Because of the culture and socialization, people look out for each other much better than in the United States. In the United States, if you're old, you're going to probably be exploited if someone's trying to hurt you. The elders in many of the African countries, I don't care which one it is, they are treated with a level of more regard. And again— And, and hold that thought right there, because I want you to expand on that when you, you get back, because it seems in this country, we, our elders were treated sort of disdain. We were putting the old folks home and— you know, we we don't value their counsel, but on the continent that I found out, maybe you can co-sign this for me, the, the elders are, are revered on the continent. So I'll let you explore that when we get back. But we got to take a short break at 14 after the top of the hour family. Our guest is Brother Sinclair Skinner. He's a humanitarian. He's a businessman. And you can reach him at 800-450-7876. And we will take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLD. And the DMV run FM 95.9 and AM 1450 W. W-O-L, where information is power. And thanks for rolling with us, family. 21 minutes after the top of the hour with Sinclair Skinner. Brother Sinclair is a humanitarian, is an activist, is a business person, a tech guy as well. If you want to speak to him, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. You know, Brother Sinclair, I thought about this during the break because you're in the technology business and you're in the blockchain technology business as well. Because of the Internet, the Internet has made the world so much smaller. When you visit these African states, are they up on what's going on in, in, in uh, you know, in blockchain technology? Yeah, I, I think the thing that we don't realize is how they, how, when I say they, how the former colonizers and the folks who control these large institutions, how they throttle or how they reduce our activity. In the old days, it was through the roads. The roads don't connect Africa. Because we have 54 countries, the roads aren't connected. And that slows down development. What, what's been done now is the cost of data. Like when we get online, when we're Googling things or now using or chat GPT, our access to data is, we don't even think about it. But on the continent of Africa, the cost of data is very expensive. And it has nothing to do with Africa. One of the things I, I learned from talking to some of these uh, service providers, they, they actually charge more in Africa and they charge in their European market. In Europe, they have a lot of competition. So they're charged much less for Wi-Fi, much less for data in Europe 
but where there's not a lot of options, they'll charge more in Africa. Which what what does that do? That hampers their ability to use the internet as a tool because the cost of using it is the premiums. So in many cases, I have my employees, they're traveling, they may not have access to Wi-Fi, they gotta wait till they get someplace and then they plug in and, and do what they need to do. These are things that are, are again, are, are a legacy of a system of, of exploitation that when you actually get on the ground, you start to realize it's not an issue of getting access to computers or, 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 or mobile phones. The Chinese have done a great job of having low-cost uh, uh, hardware devices. However, the cost on the continent for Internet and data is, is still quite high. You mentioned the Chinese. I'm glad you did that before we talk about what's going on, the violence, uh, the campaign that you're working with at Howard students. But before we do that, the Chinese, because we keep hearing the Chinese are trying to recolonize the continent. In your, in your last trip and all the, 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 the states that you visited, did you see any appearance of a lot of Chinese people there? Well, I, I've seen more Chinese, but what I see more than the actual Chinese themselves is the development. The, the one thing about the Chinese is different from the European, the European didn't really build anything or help build anything. They just are extractors. With the Chinese, they're, they're, you know, of course, they build roads. They're building, you know, uh, actually, you know, infrastructure projects. So in many ways, again, Africa has more friends. But the approach, the Chinese don't come and try to make people speak Chinese. They don't make people pray to their God. They don't make people wear their clothes. And they're not as uh, uh, into uh, uh, taking advantage of, of women, even though, the, you know, I'm sure there's some of that. But what happens when people compare the two, again, I don't think it's the Chinese per se. It's unfortunately the system of capitalism. When you have an African business person doing business with a Chinese person, the context of that business deal is not going to be the greater good of the country. It's going to be how much is in your wallet. So I think sometimes when we're having these uh, conversations about uh, what type of uh, who's doing what in Africa, we have to ask ourselves, you know, have we been successful under a capitalist system? Do the people who built the pyramids, were they capitalists? The people who invented the sciences that we use, the languages that we use, were they capitalists or were they something else? Because I think if we really get serious about some of the biggest breakthroughs in the world history, they didn't come from capitalists. So I think part of the problem with the conversation of China, it gets convoluted or it contextually gets taken out of context when you're talking about capitalism and how whoever has the most money wins in that. Now, who does the greatest good. But I will say the history of China has not been one of colonial conquest. There's more U.S. military bases in Africa by far than China. I think China has a base in Djibouti, one, compared to all the places. And remember, with these military bases, they get to fly in and out of these bases without going through customs. So you don't know what's going on on these bases. So again, when we put it in context, Again, Africa has no friends, but what the Chinese have done with the relationships over the last hundred years of relationship and what the European has done in the last hundred years, there's no comparison. Even with the Soviet Union, we talk about the Berlin Conference, the, 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 that 
that um, in those days it was Russia. The Russians were not party to the Berlin Conference. They did not come in and participate from the scramble of Africa. So that gives them a different context in their relationship with the Soviet Union, where many of the uh, liberation struggles received formal training from Warsaw Pact countries like you know East Germany uh, at, at the time, Czechoslovakia, different countries literally aided and abetted the undermining of the colonial enterprise because, of course, through a communist, you know, uh, the spread of communists was, was, was a part of their manifesto to, to make sure as many countries were a part of that. But again, I'm just saying I think the context of the Cold War, how we got where we are, oftentimes these conversations are had in the middle and not giving reference to the beginning, how we got here. Right. That is a fact. Uh, 28 after the top of the hour. Brian is calling us from Los Angeles. He's on line one, has a question for you. Brian, good morning. You're on with Brother Sinclair. Hey, Carl. Grand rising to you and the family. <clears throat> I've got two questions. Number one, Carl, do people find you like Brother Sinclair or do you find them? Both. <laughs> That's a good answer. Brother Sinclair, I just love your genius and your brilliance. I, too, am a technologist. One, I'm in agreement with you. Capitalism is not our friend. Writing a book about it called CaughtUpInCapitalism.com. And finally, regarding your, your Bitcoin, are you familiar with our brother's Bitcoin, Brother Bright, who has the uh, Odoi coin? Are you familiar? No, No, sir. I'm sorry. All right. Well, cool, cool. I, I, I sent an email. I got a reply from Zendesk. So I'm in the database. I really want to collaborate with you all. We've got to get one coin, in my humble opinion, for us. There's so many of our brothers and sisters that are putting together coins. And in my opinion, it's, it's watering down the effectiveness of an alternative currency for us. And so definitely would love to collaborate with you. Again, I sent an email to the info at love everything you're doing. And, hey, I appreciate you, Carl. I appreciate you, brother, brother uh, Sinclair. Bam. Yeah, I, I think your your first point is probably the strongest thing I'm starting to realize. It's really the system. I, I think currency conversations in a in a predatory system kind of puts us right back. But if you you have a critique, I think sharing a critique of the current uh, capitalist system and speaking to innovative ways to come up, like we're not forced to be in these systems. Like there are better ways for us as human beings that humanity to interact with each other and exchange value. And in many ways, being able to use a ledger that allows us to track those transactions, I think is a super powerful way. But if we still are doing it in a capitalist model where I'm trying to get exploit you and you trying to exploit me, I think it gets to be a problem. So, I, I, you know, the book that you're talking about sounds like the, the right direction because, again, copying the current system and just digitizing it is probably not as innovative as a real critique like you started with of the current system that's really based on a legacy of nothing but violence. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Agree 100. Please reach out, my brother. I appreciate you, Carl. Thank you. So All much, right. Carl. Thanks, Brian. And also, Sinclair, you, you you have a blockchain technology. You have a, a Bitcoin. Is that still going on? Well, we, we have a wallet. So we have one of the, the oldest Pan-African wallets, Bill Mari, uh, online. It's a non-custodial wallet, meaning that we don't, do not control your uh, private keys. You stay in control. Uh, we've had that since uh, 2016, 2015. And we also have the Black Blockchain Summit that we host at uh, Howard University every year uh, this coming up September. So definitely be on the lookout on that. Um, I think the the foundation of this discussion of uh, Bitcoin and blockchain is much like the brother said. It's, it's really our critique on the current system that we use. And we know that the banks and all the people in power uh, in the financial system didn't get their power through uh, being so smart, they got it through violence. They got it through manipulation and exploitation. And our our pursuit is, is always of finding other ways to connect with our people where we don't have to suffer that violence and that legacy of exploitation. And using blockchain has been one of those ways that we've attempted to do so. But I often, very clear, I don't uh, espouse the, the, the narrative of, financial freedom through uh, uh, Bitcoin or any digital. Our financial freedoms don't come from us working together in solidarity with each other. And if we objectify each other or try to exploit each other, we're going to be doomed just in the hands of black folks as we were in the hands of other folks. So I think it's definitely about our, again, principles and our orientation and the technology that just comes a tool. It's neither good nor bad. It's just a tool. And it's in our hands. All right. And I thank you for sharing that with us and explaining how your thoughts on, on Bitcoin. But also, we come up on a break. And when we come back, though, I want you to discuss that you're working now with Howard University students, your alma mater, on gun violence, a gun violence campaign called Love and Protect Our Children. Because we see the violence, we see it seems like it's just, you know, around our communities, all around our communities. And family, and I keep saying this, it's our problem. So we've got to solve the problem. So I appreciate that you have stepped up. I'm working with the students from Howard on this uh, gun violence campaign called Love and Protect Our Children. Tell you what, after we come back from the break, I'll let you explain what that is for us. If you want to join this conversation, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power.
And good morning again, family. 22 minutes away from the top of the air with our guest, the brother Sinclair Skinner. The brother Sinclair is based in Washington, D.C., but he travels, does business on the continent in the Caribbean as well. And he's here this morning uh, discussing a problem, the, the violence problem, and he's going uh, in our community. And he's going to use some of the students at Howard University to help us solve that problem. Before we go back to him, though, let me just remind you, coming up uh, later this morning, we're going to speak with attorney uh, Dwight Pettit. He's going to analyze the various cases facing Donald Trump. And later this week, you're going to hear from journalist A. Peter Bailey. He's going to discuss Malcolm's assassination 59 years ago. Uh, Peter was at the Audubon Ballroom, and he was one of the last persons to actually speak to Brother Malcolm before he took the stage. Also, Dr. Chikua Akua will be with us in Black History Month, of course, and the master teacher himself, Brother Ashwa Kwesi, and his queen, Mayra Kwesi, are going to join us. So if you are in Baltimore, make sure your radio is locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOLB. All right, Brother Sinclair, can you tell us about this program now that you're doing to combat the violence, the Love and Protect Our Children campaign? Yeah, what we're we're doing is, again, you know, one of the things as a technologist as well as a co-founder of a startup, you know, it's hard to ignore things that are going on around us. And at I Love Black People, our whole focus has been literally identifying these safe places for our people and connecting them much like the original uh, Green Book did. But with the onset of more and more issues related to gun violence, you know, we thought that, you know, reaching out as private citizens, again, my background is engineering, and I think oftentimes when we hear about issues in our community, we think someone else is going to take care of it, be it the politicians or uh, law enforcement, which, again, in all these cases, sometimes are, are part of the problem. But instead of finger pointing, you know, our thought is how can we leverage what we understand and know to be a part of the solution? Instead of waiting for someone to come save us, especially something as important, uh, making sure our young people are protected. Even when we talk about things like carjackings or any of those things, anytime a young person is involved in something that, you know, violent, that horrible, something's been done to that child. Somebody is somehow harming that child to make them think that this is the right way to go. And they don't have agency or someone protecting them from those, those issues. And we're talking with some of the students at Howard University. We've had some interns and young students in technology looking at ways that we can actually make a difference. And when you think about the HBCUs, they should be like bastions of safe spaces for young black people, like anywhere around the 10 mile radius of a historically black university, they should be super safe citadels or super safe open spaces where literally young and vibrant young folks aspire to be a part of something amazing. And what, what we've seen though is somehow not necessarily that not being true, where oftentimes there's even violence that, that comes to these campuses around the campuses and now the question is, how can we empower our people to, to, to stop it, to make sure that it doesn't take place? And some of the things that we're looking at early on with talking with some of the students is that the images and the uh, information that's being put out on social media is, is very negative. It's targeting our young people. That validates violence, viol- validates the use of guns to solve problems. And as we're developing our I love our developing our love and protect our, our, our children uh, campaign, we're looking at ways that we can leverage technology as well as social media 
instead of it being used for negative, but get it to, to incentivize and uplift positive activities, such as, again, capturing the, the positive things that young Howard students are doing in the community with other young people. If we're not elevating those images and showing how productive and how amazing and positive we are, people don't see them. All they see is the negative. And as we know, you know, it, 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 this is stuff I even noticed when I'm on the continent of Africa, disproportionately negative images are shown of our people. So that could be sports, that could be entertainment, that could be business, that could be politics. Literally, it, you would think many of these fields are disproportionately represented by black people because anytime you see something negative, it's somebody that look like us. And this is not by coincidence. This is by design. This is on purpose. We're, of course, we're not the ones leading in the, the corruption and killing. But when you see it, it has a black face. So we're literally the victim and the villain in, the, in our own movie. And you can imagine that. That's pretty hard to beat. So working but, with... But let me interrupt you, because you said it's not by accident. It's by design. Do you think this is part of the plan that's to keep us down and keep us fighting against each other? Yeah, I think there are deliberate things being done to undermine our community. We got to do deliberate things to protect our community. And I guess the biggest point that we're making with this campaign is that we don't have to wait on politicians. Matter of fact, there are more black people who are doing the right thing for the right reasons than black folks who aren't. And then the black folks that are caught up or have the young black folks who are getting caught up, what can we do? to help them, guide them, and protect them, and push them and, and put them in the right direction. What can we do when people talk about TikTok? We had, TikTok was not created by Martians. TikTok is created by coders and developers. But guess what? We got coders and developers, too, that are Pan-Africanists who love black people. Our thought and our approach to this is how we leverage technology with real brothers and sisters on the ground to actually stop these deliberate attacks on our community using technology. So there are people who, again, in other fields, and I, again, I'd say this to all of us uh, black professional working people, we should be using all of our skills to protect our children, full stop. All of us, no matter what, if you're an accountant, if you're someone who's doing you know, bricklaying, we need to always be thinking about how can I leverage my skills to protect our children because no one else is going to come save them. And, you know, I'm a Gen Xer, and I still remember growing up, and we were the face of the drug dealers. And none of the folks in my neighborhood had access to a visa or a passport. So the fact that I have family members that was, you know, dealing with cocaine, they didn't even know what a coca plant looked like. They wouldn't know how to the harvest or the planting or anything else. But yet we were the villains in our own movie and in, in our own demise. So I say this to say that there are real, you know, issues where we get caught up in this generational chauvinism as if one generation is better than the other. I would say that just as much as it was unfair for my generation to be targeted as, as being the vi villains as it relates to drugs and mass incarceration. I think I see some of the same things being said about young people now, like, oh, there's something wrong with them. No, young people are always going to make mistakes. Young folks are going to always be influenceable. 
It's our responsibility as the adults in the room to make sure they're safe. That doesn't mean all of them are going to go to college, all of them are going to do the right thing. But even if they decide to do nothing with their lives, they shouldn't be preyed upon or, or harmed. And I think that's the, the, the bottom line that I think as many of us, no matter what our field of endeavor is, that we somehow do our best to tie what we know and our skills to, to help our, our children out. And that that's the, the focus. So we're going to have more information as we get to the particulars, but we're leveraging, again, social media and technology to uh, accentuate the work that's being done on the ground just as much as uh, technology and social media is being used to harm deliberately our community. Yeah, at uh, 14 away from the top, because so many times, uh, Brother Sinclair, our young people have been written off. You know, they, they, people want to throw that, throw them in the jail and throw them out of the jail and throw away the key and discard them. And a lot of times they make uh, mistakes that the, the people who, who want to do that have done themselves, but they've get, been given another chance. So for those young people out there who are searching, and many of them are searching, just trying to find out, you know, what what their role is or what they're here on this planet for, and, and you've got a tech background. What do you say to some of those, those young people? Well, I, I tell you this. I've been to over 60 countries in my, in, on my own dollar, and I've seen all types of like poverty, illiteracy, but some of, the most, some of the most kindest, joyous people I've seen is young black people all over the world. It literally is just because you're poor doesn't mean you, you're violent. Just because you can't read or, or not have uh, any money in your pocket or, or uh, any formal education doesn't make you violent. I think what we allow these folks to do to us is to associate lack of education to violence as if people who are educated don't do violence. Or we, we attach poverty to violence when they really aren't the same thing in being wealthy and not being violent. So I think part of the thing is we got to stop, you know, it's almost, and again, I might be taking this too far, but when we talk about rape, we're very clear. Rape is not caused by late night alcohol or short dresses. Rape is caused by rapists. Okay. When I look at oppression, I don't think oppression is caused by poverty, lack of jobs or, uh, or uh, uh, illiteracy. It's caused by oppressors. Somebody actively seeking to harm and exploit people is the cause. I've been places where folks have no money, and they live in a communal environment where people look out for each other, and they're not going around killing people. So I think part of this is that we allow people with, I won't say this necessarily classism, but there's a lot of things that people are using to uh, disguise the ex- exploitation of human beings, and then they blame the, the people who have the least amount of agency. A young child has very little agency. So it's easy to make a 15-year-old the boogeyman of a community. But, like, really, how many 15-year-olds are really have the capacity to control and, and regulate the outcome of a particular community? It's oftentimes someone outside of that community that's doing so. Even when we talk about handguns, handguns aren't manufactured in our community. And people can talk about 3D printing, but that's not where it's coming from. These guns are literally being manufactured. The United States' largest export 
export is weapon systems. But we live in a surveillance society. They got cameras on every corner. Now, you're going to tell me that JoJo and Ray Ray have the ability to obtain illegally a gun, carry illegally a gun, to get bullets for illegally a gun, and to actually commit a crime with that gun and get away when we got the DEA, FBI, uh, uh, ATF, uh, uh, Capitol Police, uh, uh, NSA, satellite, MPD. Like, it, it doesn't make sense. There's no way that that level of crime with a gun I'm talking about could take place just because they're being outsmarted by uneducated young people. Something is more is being done, and that's why we have to do deliberate things that are more than what we're doing now. So, again, I think the issue of young people, they're going to be young people. They're going to be confused. They're going to make mistakes. When they fall down, we're supposed to be there to pick them up, and we need to make sure nobody touches them and harms them. That's what we got to do. They're going to figure it out. What we do is got to make sure they have the environment in order to figure it out. I see oftentimes people of other communities, their children make plenty of mistakes, but they're able to shave, put on a nice set of clothes, and get to relive their life. When our children have the same issues, they don't get the same opportunity. And it's not their fault. It's us as the adults that have the Hello and welcome I, I, to another episode. Right, that's seen all the time. The that, you know, young people, they make mistakes. Jones, one and goes to, to Harvard and the other one's still on the streets. So they made the same mistake. But let me ask you this, though, because you, you have a program where people, and it's, it's like the Green Book program. Can you explain that? Can you share that with us? Where people can travel and they anywhere on this planet and they're looking for uh, 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 goods or services that are friendly to blacks, they can use it? Yeah, so right now we have an app. You know, we started off with a website, but now we have an app uh, that we're asking folks to download that help us in order to share these places. So we still need more places that our people can go all over the world as it relates to healthcare, as it relates to legal, as it relates to places to stay, places to eat, uh, finance, uh, uh, child care, education, and downloading our I Love Black People uh, uh, Safe Places app will allow you to be able to participate in sharing that information. And one of the things that we're adding and as we're developing our app is a opportunity for folks to create community within the I Love Black People app so they can share information directly with each other. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. And, and that's the name of the app? All they got to do from the App Store, just download it? Just download it and, and share your feedback. It's early, and we need as many people to share information as possible. So the app right now is not for people who want to receive information. 
The app is for people who want to share information. And I, I oftentimes talk about it as a person who's an activist. Is not everybody's going to go out here and protest. Not everybody's going to run for office. They still want to do something to help out with the cause. Well, if you know some great doctors, great uh, uh, lawyers, great uh, places to stay, share that information. And that will help your neighbor and fellow brothers and sisters out here to actually be safe. And, that's, that, and that matters. Right. And also recycling those black dollars as well. Hold that thought right there, Brother Sinclair. We've got to take a quick break. we come back, we'll wrap up with you. Family, you got a question for him? Make it real quick at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. And good morning once again, family. At the top of the hour, our guest is Brother Sinclair Skinner. Momentarily, we're speaking with attorney Dwight Pettit. He's on deck, but let's wrap up with Sinclair. And Johnny is uh, calling from uh, uh, Atlanta. Got a quick question or a comment for you. Johnny, can you make it quick for us? Hey, thank you. Uh, one, of, uh, one of the questions I have is what solutions can we provide to the parents, right? You have a child, and at what point does that child kind of like go away from what the parents' role and responsibilities are. You know, we can't have the entire country, like, fill the role of the parents. So i like your comments on that. All right. Thanks, Johnny. Yeah, I, I think we, we're very unique. I think if you look at what we went through following uh, enslavement in America, Reconstruction, our families were torn apart. Our, our, we didn't, couldn't read because they were illegal. We didn't have any money because literally we were enslaved. And yet we didn't go around murdering each other. So I think in a real way saying parents are important, I think they definitely were important then, even though our families had been destroyed or torn apart. But they, are, they also are now. I'm just saying that under the circumstances that we find ourselves, if pieces of our institutions aren't where they should be, that, that means that we all have to take an extra step until we get those institutions the way they need to be and, and do something about it. We're not going right. to wait. Oh, hold it right there because we got another question real quick for you. Brian's calling from North Carolina on line three. Brian, your question for Brother Sinclair. Yes, actually, I, I don't know if I'm off topic, but I'd like to hear about the future of blockchain um, in, within the global economic system as well as hear more information about uh um, Mr. Sinclair talked about the Pan-African wallet. I'd like to hear more about what that is. And also, I'd like his contact information. I'll hang up. Okay. Uh, Sinclair, can you make that quick, <laughs> real short for yeah, us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. P- please, you can definitely check us out at blackblockchainsummit.com. You can actually check out our, our, our wallet at Bill Mari, Bill Mari on Apple or, or Google Play, B-I-L-L-M-A-R-I. Bill Mari, and then you can definitely find out what we're doing uh, with BlackBlockchainSummit.com and come and join us. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Brother Sinclair. Thank you for sharing all that information with us this morning. Always a pleasure, Big Brother Carl. Thank you, thank you, thank you for you. No, thank you for what you do, and, and thank you for keeping us informed. As, you know, as a traveler, uh, keeping us informed what's going on on the continent and also on the business side as well. 
All right, thank you. Yes, sir. All right, that's Sinclair Skinner. He's a humanitarian activist out of Washington, D.C. Let's turn our attention now to Attorney Dwight Pettit. Attorney Pettit, good morning, sir. Welcome back to the program. Good morning, Carl. My pleasure. Let's review some of these criminal and fraud charges that have been lodged against uh, Donald Trump. Some people think he's going to skate, that he's untouchable. He's the Teflon Don, as you know they call him. So we saw last week what happened in the RICO trial down in Fulton County. I want to get your response to that. How, how, did you, how did you view that? Well, Carl, you know, I think she uh, obviously made a mistake in terms of uh, appearance. Uh, but so far, as I gather what the judge has indicated, um, there has not been sufficient testimony uh, to demonstrate as a matter of law uh, that she has a conflict or uh, that her and uh, her friend have a conflict of interest, uh, which would disqualify her for the case. Uh, so I think it's close. I think this judge is more or less indicated that uh, it's an, the appearance is uh, bad, but I don't think as a matter of law that he can conclude uh, beyond the, not beyond the reasonable doubt, but by preponderance of the evidence, which is the standard that he has to use uh, in terms of his decision making as to whether she be should be excluded uh, from the prosecution. And so I think she will survive. So from what you saw, uh, even though her testimony, some people complained about, uh, well, I say complain, but we're, we're not approval of her testimony on the stand. You still think she'll survive. She, she won't get kicked off the case. That's what you're telling us? Well, I don't think that the defense, when I say the defense of the people representing uh, Donald Trump and the co-defendants, I don't think they met the standard of showing a conflict of interest. Uh, now, in terms of the trial, itself in terms of uh, uh, Trump and his peers, uh, it could taint the trial, the actual trial. But in terms of this motion, in terms of removing her, Fannie Willis, from the prosecution or from the, being the chief uh, counsel for Fulton County in the prosecution, I don't think they met the burden. And I think the court alludes to that when the court kept sustaining objections to the testimony that they were soliciting on the basis that it was not really germane to how uh, or the decision that he had to make. So what, what do we Some people say that the, the, all of those, you know, motions that they were making were actually to poison the, the uh, potential jury pool when it does go to trial. Is that how you see it as well? Yes, there's no question. I mean, that this has, can, can have negative ramifications because it allows the defense uh, to focus on something else that's not really relevant. And, it, and anytime you can confuse a jury or get away on some other subject that's not before the jury, it has to help the defense in terms of creating beyond the standard in, in criminal law, beyond a reasonable doubt. And so, yes, it can hurt in trial, but I don't think it hurts. I don't think it, it, it amounts to the level of her removal on this motion uh, by the defense in terms of her actions uh, with the uh, uh, chief prosecutor in the case or the person that she brought on to be prosecutor in the case. Is there a date set for that to start? I don't think so, Carl. I don't, uh, because these dates have been 
so messed up. And in that particular case, you've got so many defendants, and uh, the discovery is so vast in terms of the RICO statute uh, that the case was brought on in terms of Georgia uh, and Fulton County. I don't think that at this point in time, I don't think that they have any type of a schedule for trial because of the number of, of uh, parties involved and the number of defendants and the vast amount of discovery uh, that has to be uh, completed. Right. And, and just to remind the public that uh, that's 18 other members, too, involved in this in the Fulton County RICO trial that's, that's, uh, that's going on right now in Fulton County. Eight minutes after the top of the hour, Bill in Baltimore has a question for you. It's on line one. Good morning, Bill. Hey, first, thank you so very much for this opportunity. And how are you doing, Dwight? <clears throat> Dwight, I, I guess my, I, I'm good. Thank you. I guess my question is on on, on twofold in regards to to, to, to Marilyn Mosby, if it's proper, is that, you know, personally, you know, what Marilyn Mosby is accused of, then normally that's something that you just get a monetary uh, uh, fine for. Like you have to just pay a fine and you move on past that. Uh, if I'm correct. So, you know, I mean, in terms of trying to take her license, trying to send her to prison, all that type of stuff, I'm saying if that's the case, why do you think that we don't have some uh, black attorneys here in Baltimore and throughout Maryland to come forward and take this here woman case so she don't have to resort to public defenders? Well, the case is over, Bill, and I guess the question that you're raising, we have to um, put that question to Maryland's people. Uh, why didn't she get a local black attorney uh, in the D- in the Baltimore area? Rather than remember her first lawyers, who I assume exhausted her funds, were out of D.C. and they were. Well, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, I'm talking about pro bono of the federal bar. Huh? I, I'm, t- I'm talking more like pro bono. Why, why don't somebody step up now? I mean, even though you're saying her case is over, but I mean, even though they're going to try to appeal the case, I'm just saying, you know, I would just think that, we, you know, when stuff like this happens, especially we feel there's a, a travesty of misjustice. You know what I'm saying? I mean, she had stole some money from the citizens. If she had embezzled money, if she had did something inappropriate in office, is one thing. But in terms of what she's accused for, and, you know, we just kind of lay back and watch her go through it. I mean, it, it just, to me, it's just mind-blowing. That's all I'm saying, Dwight. You know I mean? I just well, think I that we have to have the— I agree with you on just about everything you said, but her selection of attorneys is her choice as the defendant. And so we have to put the question back to her. Uh, why didn't she get local counsel? That's something that all of us have thought about, or counsel that had some familiarity. Uh, with the Baltimore area, and uh, you know we have to question certain moves uh, in terms of. So, the, so, the, when, let me finish. Okay, so, you know we have, we have to question the move as to why she removed it to Bellsville when her popularity is in Baltimore. We have to uh, question the move of why did she agree to two trials uh, rather than one. So some decisions that were made by early attorneys in the case that. I question, as a lawyer who's been practicing in the Baltimore area for 50 years, why she made those decisions. But the trial part is over. Now the question is whether or not she has sufficient ground uh, for constitutional appeal. And that's a whole different ballgame and a whole different sense of lawyers. 
Okay, so my last question to you, just some people that's listening to you, because, again, like I said, I don't think that she's done nothing that deserved her to lose her license or to go to prison. Could you talk about that? Oh, I agree with you. I, I think, uh, you know, uh, she's going to lose the license, I think, because that's an attorney grievance issue. And so I think she will have some problems. There. But I think with, you know, in the, in the federal system, you have uh, what they call sentencing guidelines. And in this instance, she doesn't have a record. She's never been in trouble before. And uh, she has two children. And I think all those factors could come into play when Judge Grigsby uh, makes the decision of incarceration or no incarceration. I agree with you. I think it's a situation where she could very well qualify uh, for probation or home detention. I don't think it's an imprisonment situation. And on the 23rd, how important do you think it is for us to be out there in, in mass numbers? I don't think it makes a difference at this point in time. I think the judge will look at the sentencing guidelines. The federal pretrial will make a recommendation. And, the, and federal law, and I've been in federal courts for over 50 years, uh, it's sort of a discretionary type of thing because there's no mandatory minimum here. So it's discretionary, and the judge is going to find, is going to move for the uh, whatever pretrial makes in terms of a recommendation from the sentencing guidelines. The federal sentencing guidelines are pretty explicit as to what the judge can consider and what she can consider or what she has to justify. Well, I appreciate you, and thank you, Paul, for allowing me this opportunity. All right, thanks, Bill. And, and i got to ask you, you says it's basically over, though, is on appeal. Can she still remain out on appeal? Well, that's, that's going to depend upon the judge, Judge Grigsby. I mean, he's, she's already asked for her passport, but at this point in time, there's no indication that she's a threat to leave the jurisdiction or threat to abscond. So I don't see any reason if she takes an appeal, why that she can't post uh, a normal appeal bond. That's what she and with that post. appeal, can she do this? If they, if they try to take a license, can she appeal that as well? Well, that's a whole different jurisdiction, a whole different court. You're in federal court in terms of the criminal actions, and what you're asking about is the Court of Appeals or the Supreme Court of Maryland, the local court, state court, as to whether or not she, in fact, has committed an act uh, which justifies her removal from the bar under state law. So those are two different things, Carl, two totally different things. All right. Thank you for sharing that. This. We're going to take a short break, Counselor. We'll be back. And we've got Alan's got a question for you. I guess he's a constitutional and criminal defense attorney. His name is Dwight Petty. You know him in Baltimore. You know him in, in Washington, D.C. He used to analyze the O.J. Simpson trial for us here at WOL. If you want to speak to him, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're rolling on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. W O-L, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. 21 minutes after the top of the hour. I guess he's a constitutional and criminal defense uh, attorney. His name is Dwight Pettit. He's based in Baltimore. You got a question, legal question? Reach out to us at 800 450 78 76 and let me just ask you this question if you are disbarred as an attorney uh counsel can you move to another state and pass the bar in that state and get reinstated as a, as a lawyer usually states are reciprocal if you're disbarred in one state 
uh, usually there will be an action against you in another jurisdiction once they find out about it. All right. 22 after the top. Alan's in Baltimore on line three has a question for you. Good morning, Alan. Uh, Dwight Pettis, let me ask you a question, Attorney Pettis, your defense lawyer. I think you're on the federal level, right? Uh, you ought to give Marilyn Mosley under the cover a law because you spoke about it many times. Fonnie Willis, when her daddy was testifying in court, you uh, said all black folks carry cash. You know, that's just laundry laundry because I won a lot of money one time and somebody told me, be careful how much money you carry on. You got to put it in the bank so they can keep track of it. Is uh, does the father have immunity, and he should have had a lawyer? Is that money laundering? What he was trying to allude to, saying black folks, no, we're not no, on trial. No, I don't think uh, so. All black folks. Okay. Go ahead. I don't think so. He was basically talking about habits of uh, people of color because of their uh -huh. mistrust of the banking system, and uh, in the old days, especially in the South and what have you, um, you know, there was yeah. a thing: keep you some cash at home because you never can tell what's going on. Uh, with the banks, or yeah, black yeah. people would be persecuted, and so therefore you should always keep some cash. I don't think it had anything to do with him laundering money or her laundering money. Let me ask you this, right? You know, in the Great Depression, a lot of people buried their money in the bank, uh, you know, and on their property. You know, they trust their own property, but buried in the backyard, they didn't trust banks. So that's why I asked that. Thank you, and I appreciate correct. you. That's correct. What you're saying is, is totally correct. Black folks didn't really trust the system so that was a common practice still a common Thank practice you. thanks thanks alan thanks you it's still a common practice counselor black people still don't trust the banks especially what they know what's going through what may happen after this election you know a lot, a lot of people you know been told to have some money on hand have some cash on hand so i just want to say that no question about it <laughs> yep <laughs> 23 after the top of the hour Theo's in baltimore has a question for you. he's on line one Theo, good morning you're on with attorney pettit <laughs> Yeah, good morning, uh, Mr. Pettit and uh, uh, everybody. Uh, uh, you know, one thing uh, I'd like to ask about this, one thing that's been missing, I have not heard a person say anything about the fact that it seems to me that my limited ex experience in federal court indicates that one of the most important aspects of a case, and certainly for sentencing, is the fact that the person takes full responsibility for the acts that they were convicted of. In other words, I've even seen the prosecutors in helping a defendant say, well, you know, they take full responsibility. And, of course, when the defendant pleads for consideration, they're always saying, I take full responsibility. In this case, the opposite has occurred. So do you think that's going to damage her presentation? Thank you. Well, that is, that is one of the factors, Mr. Fields. That's one of the factors that the judge has to take into consideration uh, in terms of the sentencing guidelines. Uh, that is uh, a factor that has to be uh, put in. But now you got two things here. If she's going to take an appeal, uh, she has the right to take that appeal without her, without her rights being di diminished because she admits to something uh, that she believes the court made or the prosecution made errors of law. So she's got two conflicting th things going. One, that she has a right for an appeal and to raise any th type of issues of which she believes violated her constitutional or legal rights. And she has a right to, to bring that, but the court also has to look at whether or not she has been contrite or shown compassion uh, in terms of admission of her guilt. So you got two contracting things. But again, that goes back to Mr. 
Grisby, the, the judge, a Judge Grisby. All right. So you're basically saying she shouldn't say that until the, her, her appeal process is worked out, right? Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Well, she's going to come up for sentencing, as I understand, on May 23rd or May 24th. She will still be in an appeal. So she can't admit anything uh, in terms of contrition that would, in fact, damage her appeal. But in this issue, uh, you know, we're talking about an appeal basically on the convict on the areas where she was convicted. And that was the perjury count, which I don't know whether she raised those issues uh, in terms of being preserved. And also the uh, second conviction in, in relationship to the false application. And so, you know, the two separate things going here because there'd be two separate issues brought up uh, in the appellate process. And uh, it's going to be interesting in terms of uh, the second one um, because she does raise some legal issues uh, which might have some merit. Uh, in the Court of Appeals. All right, 27 after the top. I got a bunch of folks want to talk to you. Let's go to Baltimore again. Charles is on line four. Good morning, Charles. Yeah, I'm with Attorney Pettit. Yes, how you doing, Attorney Pettit? I'm fine, Charles. How are you? Uh, I'm okay. Um, I'd like to know um, what exactly is law? Like, what is the definition? And is our law based on British law, English law, or Indian law? And why don't we have actually American law? Well, right, thank you, Charles. Based on the, the common law, basically, and the common law is a combination of uh, British law or English law uh, and uh, the development of American jurisprudence, and that is governed by our constitution. All right, twenty-seven at the time. And Marvin's in Baltimore. He's on line five. Good morning, Marvin. You're on with Attorney Pettit. Hey, Carl, how you doing? How you doing, Mr. Dwight Pratt? I'm fine, Marvin. How are you? All right. Uh, look, I want to ask you, when the, when the courtroom first starts and they say, all rise, everybody understand that, right? Right. Okay. As court go on and they get to talking, lawyers come together, the judges come together, the lawyers state their case about the person, whoever they're dealing with. Now, keep in mind, these people ain't educated on the most bigger words that these lawyers and people use, but they start off with plain English where they can first understand, but then as the case gets a little harder, they start to change to up-class big words. Why are they allowed to do that? And then they then turn around and lock the person up on technicalities of big words that people can't even understand, but they even get locked up for. Do you think they should have a translator there or something to tell them people what they're saying, or they, they just keep on hiding it and, and robbing people like that? 
right. Thanks, well, Marvin. You know, you talk about people in the courtroom. Those people are not on the jury, and they're not uh, determiners of fact or law uh, that the judge is. And so uh, as to what they understand is not really relevant uh, to what's going on in the courtroom. The people that you have to be concerned about is the judge because she or he uh, is the determiner of the law and the determiner of the facts in some instances, and the jury or the finder of fact that have to make the decision of guilt or innocence. All those other folks are just uh, observers. All right, 30 minutes out of the topic. I got a tweet for you. A tweet says, please ask Attorney Pettis. This is from John. He says, if Donald Trump misses the deadline on February the 15th to file his appeal for immunity, can he still appeal it after, or is, he, is it a done deal? Well, that, that's an interesting question because uh, at this point in time, uh, the Supreme Court has not issued an order as to whether it's going to hear the immunity argument. And so what you have standing right now is the D.C. Court of Appeals that ruled that Trump did not have presidential immunity. And so the court has not made a decision, number one, whether it's going to take the case. And if it takes the case, we don't know how the court's going to rule. And also there's a third option uh, that uh, uh, the uh, parties have. And that's to go to a full bank, the full bank of the Fourth Circuit, which is uh, uh, the full court uh, sitting all together and and all the judges making a determination of whether to, in fact, uphold uh, the appellate court's decision, which is three judges and the in-bank judges, which I think would be 23 or 24, whatever's down in the Fourth Circuit. All right. Uh, 30, 29, actually, away from the topic. I'll ask this question. Since you talked about contrition uh, in the uh, Marilyn Mosby case, I haven't seen any contrition from Donald Trump. It, it, did that affect, the, do you think, the, the ruling and the, those where they found him, how much money he has to pay back? Well, you know, that that uh, was the trial judge. That was not a jury verdict. Uh, that was the trial judge. And he made a decision, obviously, uh, that uh, there was no credibility uh, in uh, Donald Trump's testimony or his witnesses. Obviously, with him cursing the judge out on a day-by-day basis, he wasn't showing any contrition. And so he threw the book at him uh, in terms of $355 million uh, of penalty, as well as relieving him from being able to do business uh, in New York for three years. And so he hit him hard. And there are certain questions that Trump is going to raise on appeal, uh, whether the verdict was excessive and whether there were anybody suffered any damages. And uh, those are some serious arguments uh, that he's going to make on appeal. Um, But uh, you're right, uh, Carl. He has shown nothing but defiance. And I'm just so glad that the judge uh, stuck to his guns uh, in terms of – his final decision in terms of the penalty and striking him from doing business in the state of New York and uh, uh, with uh, banks coming out of New York. 
All right, got a bunch of folks got questions for you. We'll wait, take a quick break. But when we come back, though, real quickly, if you could address this question, what if Donald Trump blows off? This, you know, he's sort of indicated that he's, he's going to appeal. If he doesn't appeal, what will happen? How soon will they, can they see some of his assets? I'd like you to re- respond to that. And then we got a bunch of folks who uh, got questions for you. F- family, you want to join this conversation with our guest? He's a constitutional and a criminal defense attorney. His name is A. Dwight Petty. Reach out to us at 800 450 7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning, family. 23 minutes away from the top of the hour. That guest, he's, a, as I mentioned, a constitutional and a criminal defense attorney. His name is A. Dwight Pettit, one of the best in the business. And, and before we left, my question to you real quick was, uh, if Donald Trump blows off the, uh, the, the, you know, the, what he's supposed to, uh, the appeal and doesn't appeal and doesn't, you know, provide the money that he's supposed to pay, how soon can they start seizing his assets? Well, I think I saw something, Carl, about uh, he might have six months to put the, uh, certain things in line. Uh, but if, if he doesn't raise the necessary bond or get the necessary uh, support from other sources uh, to raise the appeal, uh, and he does not uh, perfect the appeal, if that's how it's referred to, to perfect the appeal, uh, then I think that they could start proceedings immediately uh, to, in fact, liquidate his properties and to, in fact, uh, put liens on his uh, vast real estate holdings, and so I, I don't. If he doesn't file the appeal, I think all things are begin uh, to be triggered in terms of their opportunities uh, to, in fact, go after uh, the judgment, which is not just 355, but with interest, in fact, is over 400 uh, million dollars. Oh wow. 21 minutes away from the top. And let me take some calls. we got a bunch of folks who got questions for you. If you can show up on the questions, family, I'd appreciate it. Christian's on line three calling from Malibu. Christian, your question for Attorney Pettit. I was wondering if the uh, gentleman could tell us um, South Africa went after uh, Israel and uh, said that they were plausible for genocide. The 30-day period for that finding to come should be coming up very shortly. Uh, is it feasible that uh, South Africa would file a lawsuit against the United States and Germany because they're still sending arms over there, they're still killing people? And uh, tell me what you think, sir. Well, that's an issue before the World Court and the United Nations. And I really don't have the expertise uh, uh, to comment uh, intellectually in in, in in those terms of uh, legalities. But I think... uh, what we are watching, um, Israel might have a right to defend itself of what's taking place right now in terms of the Palestinian people uh, is horrible and disastrous. Uh, you know, I was with uh, the Jimmy Carter administration years ago when they sat down with Begin and Sadat and talked about the two-state uh, solution. Uh, and uh, a lot was worked out. And to see us go uh, back to this uh situation that that we're in in the Middle East is uh, such a horrible, horrible situation uh, on both sides. 
All right, 19 away from the top there. Sandra's on line six. Sandra's uh, in Baltimore. Sandra, your question or your comment for Attorney Pettit? Sandra, there on line six. Hello. All right. Yeah, go ahead, Sandra. Hello. Good morning. Hello, Sandra. Hi. Good morning, Mr. Petty. How are you? How are you doing, lady? I'm doing fine. How are you doing, sir? <laughs> I'm hanging in there. <laughs> All right. That's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. I like to give my condolences about Mr. Brown, your friend, and Mr. Black Eagle, Bill Madison. I know you love them very dearly. So yes, I like indeed, to say, uh, to them. especially with David Brown. We yes, I know. I used years. to call you every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Patrick, like you said, there's nothing wrong with having a little cash at home because I live in Baltimore and in South Carolina, and I keep a little cash in my house. So you mm-hmm. can allow you they allow you eight thousand dollars that you can keep in your house in South Carolina. And let me say right? this about Miss Willis. I admire her and I and I adore her and I respect her. She held her ground and a lot of people want to say that she was combative. She was not combative. She wanted to testify and she did testify. And I think that she did a beautiful job. I think her father did a beautiful job. All they want to do is try to find a way to get her out from from attacking Donald Trump. That's all they want to do. They don't have no other means about her. Because if you watch that trial, not one time did they ask her any information about Donald Trump trying to steal the votes, 11,000 votes. All they talking about who she went to bed with. Who she went to bed with is her business. Why didn't they ask Donald Trump who did he go to bed with? Because his wife wrote a book that his first wife, that Donald Trump beat her up and raped her. All right. So and let's give him a chance to respond because we, we, we're making statements. I got a bunch yes. of folks got right. questions for All Attorney right. Pettit. All right. All right. But I love you, Mr. Pettit. Bye-bye. I love you too, Sandra. <laughs> Good to hear from you. 17 away from the top. Now, Mark's in Baltimore. He's on line four. Mark, your question for Attorney Pettit. Yes. I'd like to know, is there a statute of limitation on the violation of your constitutional rights? And my other question is, where can I physically go to a facility to find out a list of black attorneys, but not necessarily have to be black, preferably. Well, your last question is Monumental Bar, which I used to be president of, uh, is the source for black lawyers uh, in the Maryland area, particularly Baltimore. Uh, There's another bar association in Prince George's County, uh, the Bourne Bar Association. So you can go to either one of those bar associations and get uh, a list of black lawyers who are practicing. Now, your first question was what? The statute of limitations is on violation for constitutional no, rights. You want to know if... No, I don't think there's a, a constitutional... I mean, it, on on certain crimes, there are no constitutional limitations, uh, certain felonies. And that's whether state or whether it's federal. Um, but on certain crimes, uh, there are constitutional uh, uh, statute of limitations. And one of the good examples of that uh, is the case that in Maryland, where they just changed the law in terms of uh, the Catholic Church in relationship to these children that were molested when the legislature uh, waived any type of statute of limitations that were being exerted 
uh, because of uh, the enormity of the of the act in terms of what's been put out there and barred by the statute of limitations. So in that particular instance, uh, act of the legislature uh, did in fact, and I think that was federal, uh, did in fact remove the statute of limitations and open it up for litigation. But that was an unusual situation. 15 away from the top there. Ray's on line one. Ray's in Hunt Valley in Maryland. Ray, good morning. You're on with the Good morning. Good morning, Dwight. Good morning, Carl. Uh, real quick, Saturday, I hosted um, um, my biannual event of bringing some of the best black minds in the Baltimore, D.C. area. Uh, two brothers were from, uh, one was from Atlanta, New York. And um, it was not for Marilyn Mosby specifically. However, uh, she did come by. And so we gave her the opportunity to present her situation. Now, the men that I have there are men of very high profession, uh, attorneys, doctors, lawyers. And I say that to say this, Carl, for the past 30 years, I have been advocating that we do not have an offense. We only react. We have a defense, but we don't have an offense. And one of the reasons Maryland and, and Dr. Gay at Harvard and many of our leaders in the forefront, many reasons they fall is because we're always on defense. We're not on offense. At this uh, particular meeting, uh, two of my friends who work on Wall Street donated $5,000 for not just her, for various, for various um, uh, activist groups in the Baltimore, D.C. area. And again, I've, I've I've been doing this for 20 years in my home, and um, it, it's it's if we don't start doing that collectively. Uh, Ray, do us a favor and put it in a question form so the attorney Pettit can respond. Yeah, sure, of course. Yeah, go ahead. Put, pose the question so he can respond. Yeah. So, so my question is um, to both of you: Why do we not? have an offense? Why do we not have a national uh, uh, law institution where we're all contributing so that when these things occur, but I, I don't want to limit it to law, education, healthcare, et cetera. Why do you see us not having the collective ability to do this? All right. Good question. Thanks, Ray. Tony Pettit. Well, the, the only thing I can say, Ray, is that we have not, uh, in fact, elected the, the best leaders to represent the interests of the black community. Uh, being black in terms of skin color is not <laughs> the solution uh, just because the person is black. We need people that are, in fact, uh, committed to the survival and the pro progress of the black community. And you can look around nationally and say, hey, uh, look at South Carolina, the young man uh, that's running for president, that is is now vying to be Trump's uh, vice presidential candidate. Uh, you can look around and look at the Supreme Court uh, with the, that that crazy man on the Supreme Court uh, who's totally sold us out as a people. And so you can go back and say, you know, what has been wrong with the black community in terms of the selection uh, of this leadership uh, where they uh, make wrong choices and and elect leaders that don't have the interest of the black community uh, in their agenda. And uh, that that's real. 
And so, you know, when you have the Tim Scotts and, and uh, uh, the Clarence Thomases running around, th- that's, in many cases, is, is, is our fault of not uh, distinguishing who we're putting in, in position. You know, um, we, we did the right thing with uh, President Obama, but how many of those people are standing with us nationally uh, in terms of the selection process? And so we have to take a lot of fault in terms of those uh, the people that we select to be our leadership. Right. And for me, I just and I've said it before, we need a SWAT team. When our when one of our people are in trouble, whether it be our attorneys or our accountants or, or uh, farmers, we have the best and brilliant black minds come and support them. I mean, if, if Marilyn Moultrie had had heard uh, how the counsel of attorney Pettit, she wouldn't be where she was today or some other smart lawyers that we have. We just when it, whenever they're in trouble, just, hey, I need help. And, and they come pro bono, whether it's the accountants or the black doctors, and come and support our people. That's what we need. That's my thought. But I'm going to keep rolling because we've got a bunch of folks who want to talk to you. Ten away from the top here. Taboo's in, in Washington, D.C. on Line 5. Taboo, you're on with attorney Dwight Pettit. All right, Mr. Petty, uh, is the United States founded in positive or negative law? Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta. Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. I'm not sure I understand the question. Positive or negative law? Yes, sir. Or yes. I'm not sure I can answer. I'm not sure that are I. You what, what do you mean by positive and negative law, uh, Taboo? Are you, are, you, are you familiar with negative rights and positive rights? No. Uh-uh. Yeah, well, the country is founded on negative rights, uh, law of nature. Uh, you got positive and negative. Uh, negative rights or natural rights or natural law or inalienable rights, certain rights that cannot be taken from you, okay? Such guarantees, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, those basic founding principles. Now, it's important to understand that because slavery is repugnant to natural law. In other words, you're guaranteed... Right. And, and to, I hate to do this, can you put in a question for him so he can respond because we're racing the clock here. You can oh, call on Friday no, and no, give no. us the... Okay, oh, thank you. Well, At no, nine no, away no, from no, the no, top, no, y'all, let's question. go there. One last question. Do you support reparations? Yes. Okay, very good. Go well, that, that, that is the reason. Understanding... Rep- Wait a minute. My, my argument about reparations goes back to my last answer in the last question. We haven't even had the political power and wherewithal uh, to protect affirmative action. We are allowing this Supreme Court uh, to, in fact, we've rolled back the, the rights in terms of voting rights, in terms of affirmative action, and in terms of women's rights, in terms of abortion. 
And so we haven't had the political power to protect those things which we won, much less of of reparations which we can't even uh, begin to define as to how that will work. So I'm very disappointed, again, in the leadership of this, of the black community that we have let things, and, and all this is in my book, Under Color of Law, where I talk about how we have gone backwards rather than forward. Uh, in terms of all the things that were uh, fought for and, and won in the 60s and the 70s. King would roll over in his grave. All right. Thanks, Tabu. And let me see if I tell... Thelma, can you make this question real quick? you got about 30 seconds. Can you do it? Yeah, I'm high. Yeah, I think I can. Uh, can you hear me? Sure. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, my name is Thelma, and um, I know I hear that you got the white petty in your uh, studio today. So I have I have all three copies of the Declaration of Independence, and I went and made a whole lot of copies many years ago. Can you believe that? Yeah. Yeah. So I I'm I'm going to need a lawyer. Yeah. So I was hoping I could um probably um get the White Petting to be my lawyer because I did call Warren Brown. Uh, back here some time ago, and Warren Brown had, was working on a squeegee case, and um, he didn't really want to get into it, so uh, just let the papers linger. And by the way, these papers are not – let me just put it this way. They're um, – oh, I'm kind of nervous. Excuse me. Um, these papers are old. I had them a long time. Long time. Right. And Thelma, we're going to have to let you go because we're just flat out oh. of time. Attorney Pettit, you want to respond to what she just said? Uh, oh, query? okay. All right. Well, I'm not sure there was a question there, or call. Okay. Yeah, I need a lawyer. My she question needs... is I need a lawyer. Lawyer? I still didn't understand what you need a lawyer for. You said you made copies of the Declaration of Independence. That's all no, I heard. I... What I'm trying to say well, is I Well, I'll tell you what, because we're just flat out of time, Thelma. To... Uh, Attorney Petty, you want to give her your office number? 410-542-5400. All right. Thank you, Thelma. <laughs> just, I hate to rush you, because we're just flat out of time. Your book, real quick, how, the title of the book, and how can we get it, Counselor? Under Color of Law, uh, Barnes & Noble, and... Uh, 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 bookstores across the country. Uh, I Universe is the publisher, and uh, Page Turner is now publishing a second copy. And uh, uh, all right, thank you, Counselor. Thank you for sharing all your information with us this morning. And we got to run because we're running late. But thank you, uh, uh, Dwight Petty. Family, we're out of here. Me. Thank you, sir. Uh, We're done for the day. Stay strong. Stay positive. Please stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow morning right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB at 6. Also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power.
Jesus.